Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Cancer Conversation, episode number eight, Ryan Muldoon. Ryan Muldoon, my brother from another mother and fellow fan of Monster Magnet and Psychedelic Rock and Rock and Roll and fellow writer, um, sparring partner, and, uh, See, lately, spiritual kind of brother, as we are both pursuing our own uh, quests for something, uh, I'm going to try to avoid the cliches, such as enlightenment and so forth, but uh, Ryan's got to practice and i got to practice, and there were still both guys that really did um, things that maybe don't obviously line up with that, but um, nonetheless, um, in this interview, I make the point, or try to make the case for uh, Dave Wendorf, the guy that you hear singing in the background now, <clears throat> being kind of included, I guess, in a pantheon, as dubious a term as that might be, with such luminaries as Rocky Erickson and Brian Wilson, um, and... Uh, Ryan blocks me on a lot of that But we both love Monster Magnet And we have that in common And it, we end up talking about it a lot And it ends up being a, a template For this conversation Not really sure why It's just what presented itself And uh, I went with it <laughs> We talk about other things But it keeps coming back to Dave Wendorf And Monster Magnet for a while And then let me get into something else But um it got me thinking, I mean, I was talking about uh, how m- my exposure to Dave Wendorf's lyrics and singing in the 90s when I was wandering the streets of New York, trying to figure out what the hell I was doing and what I was doing there. Um, I used what I think is a, um, a pension he has for self-mythologizing, uh, for one type of thinking to support one kind of thinking I had then and I see it as supporting another kind of thinking now and uh, coincidentally I was reading something today and somebody was quoting Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass or Song of Myself I think it was Song of Myself and in in this interview I make the comparison between Walt Whitman and Dave Windorf and it just occurred to me that when I drive through New Jersey on the New Jersey Turnpike from here to New York, one of the rest stops, one of those ugly-ass rest stops on the New Jersey Turnpike is named after Walt Whitman. It's another coincidence, I suppose. But, um, you know, I'm really interested in mythology, and mythology, um, as Joseph Campbell defines it, is not something that didn't happen, but something that happens over and over again. It's a way to make sense out of the things that are hard to make sense out of in the world, and find answers for things for which it's very hard to find answers uh they i think they inspire a creative part of our brain when we contemplate them so we come up with solutions um that's how i use them anyway and uh i've been in one of those kind of conflicts kind of struggles this week Um, my friend sarah asked me if it was taking me a while to put up the next podcast because i was having trouble figuring out what to say during this part and au contraire I have so much that I've been wanting to say, and I've been trying to figure out how to say it, and trying to find my way through it, 
I've been reflecting. Um, and it started with the shit. It actually started two weeks ago with the Paula Dean N-word thing, and then then it picked up steam with the Trayvon Martin uh, thing. And um, I, you know, saw people having an emotional response to that verdict on Facebook, and I I responded to it and was basically with you know. It is what it is. It happened. What are we going to do? We can't just make one person the uh, scapegoat. In one situation, the scapegoat for all of this stuff that is that is wrapped up in this issue, the issue of racism, the issue of history between black people and white people in America, which is different from any other minority because black people were forced to come here. It's not... You can't compare it to people from latin america you can't compare it to asians you can't compare it to any other minority they are here because somebody made them come here and then made them work and um and i live in a city that was founded on that richmond virginia capital of the confederacy a lot of people a lot of africans came through here on their way to other places and maybe they died before they even went to those other places and they're under the ground here and that's bad juju. There's bad juju up under the ground in this town. And even before that happened, there was bad juju because the Indians were already living here. The Native Americans, the Powhatan tribes of the Algonquin were already living on Churchill, where I grew up when the British explorers came up the river. And they eventually ran them off so they could grow tobacco and reap the rewards. And as someone I was contacting to do this podcast said to me um i was trying to get her to come she's not living here anymore and she left here to dealing with some bullshit in this town and um i was like you know i'd love to hear your side of the story and she said i might talk about that for about 10 seconds but my feeling is that richmond is a town that was you know founded to grow a drug and sell a drug on the backs of a, a brutal treatment of people and I uh, I agree with her, but I'm here to perform an exorcism. I love this town. I'm from this town. I feel, I mean, I, I one of the most, you know, the big sticking points of my entire life is reconciling that history that I became aware of maybe at about eight or nine years old as I, I grew up in Churchill, the predominantly black neighborhood and went to the Richmond Public Schools, predominantly black schools, and became aware in the 70s of what had gone on here and what had only just recently um, changed as far as civil rights, only maybe 10 years earlier. Um, it's been an issue. I've been something I've been struggling with my whole life. And I don't want to run away from it. I want to reconcile it. And I want to be able to reconcile being and loving this city that I grew up in and loving the people here and, and yet finding a place to fit this thing in without having to just completely deny it because when we deny it every time something like a Trayvon Martin thing happens or a Paula Dean thing happens it's a steam valve and like all of these feelings that nobody's resolved comes come blowing out of that hole and uh, I mean that's my take on what's what keeps happening um, I think we have a bigger issue in this country than just racism we have an issue of bias Racism implies, you know, straight up hatred, and if it were that, it would be easier to confront. But I think all over this country and in every 
town and every city and every community and every small microcosmic system of people, there's a lot of bias at work, bias against people that are different uh, because of their skin color, because of their culture, because of their home training, because of their weight. Um, we, we just, we, we do that and, and it sucks. And there are awful, really powerful examples of it like that, you know, poor child being, you know, murdered in cold blood and, and they're just the subtle ongoing examples of it that are frustrating and hurt a lot of people. So I've been, I've been wrestling with what I wanted to say about this. And yesterday I found myself as I was wandering around, found myself up on the hill, up on Church Hill. And I found myself walking through the gates of Richmond Hill where the Reverend Benjamin P. Campbell a man I grew up with, his father of a good friend of mine, one of the fathers that raised me in Churchill now uh, runs a ecumenical religious retreat focused on healing these kinds of things in the city. And I um, I walked in there and I started talking to a couple of African-American women at the, at the desk and told them why I was there. And we had a nice little chat and they were telling me about their churches and and then they said, why don't you go out in the garden and wait uh, for Ben? And so I walked out in this garden, and, and you know, Richmond Hill used to be a uh, Catholic nun's convent, but they ran out of, the Catholic diocese ran out of the money to hang on to it, so Ben took it over at one, about like 20 years ago now, I guess. I used to look into that garden from the elementary school next door, and these beautiful statues and flowers in there, and think what an interesting place to exist in the middle of the urban thing that I was living in, this spiritual retreat right in the middle of the city. Even as a kid, I, I felt something about that. But then I got to walk into that garden yesterday, and I was standing there, and uh, I'm fucking around on my phone, actually, and I realized somebody was behind me, and I turned around, and Ben was standing there, and we were regarding each other, and I said, did they tell you I was here? Assuming he knew who I was. And he said, well, they told me somebody was waiting for me. And I said, well, it's, you know, it's me, Kurt Payne, and and he, you know, was like, oh, my God, and, like, walked up to me, and we hugged, and then we sat down under a tree and started talking. And um, I basically found myself saying I want to lend my efforts to what he does. He has been deeply committed in this city, in the city of Richmond, Virginia, to healing the conflict that we all inherit as citizens of this town um, for, you know, most of his career. I mean, to 20, 30 years. I grew up with him as a kind of a Jesus freak hippie character with a beard. And I've, I've watched him, you know, uh, address and be involved in many big issues, including when, when his son and I were kids and we were riding a school bus. Um, we got into a confrontation with a black kid on the bus and, uh, really it didn't have to be a confrontation, but Philip, uh, Ben's son was kind of a could be kind of a smart ass and he uh he said something smart ass to this guy and the guy just started beating his ass right there in the bus and I sat there and watched the whole thing almost pretending like I I didn't even see it I didn't know what to do about it I just watched and then we all had to go in the office uh to discuss this guy I think his name was Trevor beating the living shit out of Philip and uh Ben it was Ben and Philip and Trevor and me and the principal of the school. And we 
we had to have a and Ben attempted rather than being what most fathers would be pissed the fuck off and wanting something to happen to Trevor he wanted to understand why Trevor felt like he had to behave that way and why he had to lay into Philip so brutally and um I mean I was 11 or 12 at the time I didn't know what to make of it then but it really stuck with me to this day and I figured that's what I got to do you know I got to I got to help I got to do what I can to heal this issue and I don't think protesting is the way to go I don't think being angry and and rending my clothes and tearing at my hair over the injustices of uh, racism and the past in this country are the way to go. I think it's a daily practice of uh, addressing and amending the situation. What can I do? Well, smile at the black man that holds the door for me at 7-Eleven and watch him smile back. That you know that happened last night. Um, and I can help Ben, and I'm going to see what I can do to uh, volunteer at Richmond Hill and, and do things to move forward. And it made me remember that three of the most amazing and powerful men that I've ever known of, Thich Nhat Hanh, Thomas Merton, and the Dalai Lama, they got together, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, a Tibetan Buddhist, and a Catholic mystic got together and worked throughout the Vietnam era through the civil rights movement uh, to be practical men in the street confronting this stuff. And I, I believe that's the way to go. And at least that's what gives gives stuff meaning to me. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Now, uh, here we go with Ryan Muldoon. Um, it's It was a lot of fun talking to him. It's kind of kooky and crazy, and there's a lot of uh, verbal sparring and banter but um i think it was fun i think you'll think it's fun too all right let's go keep talking keep talking like you need that. a proper mix in me cans you know i mean i'm, I'm laying down the base and i'm i'm looking for that level <laughs> but i can't get a proper mix in the cans i think we've i think we've got Is it. it proper i believe so i believe it's proper my mic sounds nice check one yeah how do you I know? can't. What I'm not mean? hearing anything on the headphones. Is that so. your mixer? Yeah, this is the mixer. This is. Uh, so you travel with that to the I other do. locales. It's, there's a whole box of uh, stuff. I don't know why we're not getting headphone action. I'm getting oh, that's headphone weird. action. You can hear it. Oh yeah. Okay, so mine maybe is just not. No, I can't. I think it's the connections are. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I hear it now. It's not very loud. Um, so, Mr. Ryan Muldoon, this is going to be a tantric conversation and a major catch-up session because I haven't talked to you other than that extremely tantric conversation we had not long ago. We were on the phone. Yeah. And we were talking about spiritual matters. Yeah. And you've just come from some spiritual matters. You wanna, do you want to talk about that at all? Twist that uh, mic up so it's like right in front of your... Does this mean we've started? Yeah, we're going. This is happening? We're rolling. Um, you know, I meditate like a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know what else you want me to say. But well, I, I yeah, mean, I mean, you meditate. Uh, how did you, what brought you to that? Like, this is, you You engage oh in what God. kind of meditation? What kind of meditation is it? Is I it, do uh, Zen meditation. Zen Buddhism? Zen Buddhism. At where? It's all happening at the temple, at uh, 
The temple of your dreams. The temple of your dreams. Temple of the dog. <laughs> I go to temple of the dog. I meditate with Chris Cornell. <laughs> Eddie Vedder. Eddie the, Vedder. The whole super group. Stone Gossard. <laughs> we, Mark Arm. We meditate on the genius that was, what was that guy's name that was in? They, they, they wrote that whole record about the dude from Mother oh, Love yeah. Bone dying. With the, Andrew, Anthony, yeah. something. Yeah. Didn't know. Who cares? I never even well, listened to that record. Listen. I want to try and see if we can cue in some uh, music at some point. We'll be, I'm going to be screwing around with that. Um, uh, so this will be a different format? Yes. Conversation? Yes, because <laughs> I have my rock and roll Jukebox criticism. Jerry. Yeah, buddy here. Um, I don't think this is going to work, though. Cause anyway, um, so Ryan Muldoon. Maybe you, you can and drop I, it in and post. Yeah, but I want to I want to cue it up while we're here. You know, <laughs> yeah. that would be fucking fun. Well, you can cue cool. it up still. We can still play it. Yeah, I just got this problem. You don't want to get into any ass cap scenarios, anyway. Fuck those motherfuckers. Well, man. that's they what you bigger. say now. <laughs> that's what you say now. They got bigger fish to fry. I'm more worried oh, no. about the. Uh, the <laughs> oh no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. They're gonna come after my little podcast because I've been yeah. using Alice Coltrane as my theme music, but I figured uh, that stuff's in the public domain or something. I, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Come but on, I, man. I don't know what the rules are. She's still alive, isn't she? I don't know. I think she's, well, yeah, it doesn't matter. But I, I thought that the vinyl of that stuff came out because, like, these aren't even real impulse, like, records. You know, they say impulse. I thought they were, like, somebody just was print pressing them well so. but you know your your mortality has nothing to do with whether people <laughs> are actually going to bootleg you or not you know <laughs> like uh, bob dylan will attest to being bootlegged a few times probably you know i and used frank to zappa probably is now i know? dated a girl in new york that all she listened to was bob dylan mm-hmm. period nothing mm-hmm. else and mm, okay whenever she, whenever she <laughs> i was kind of weirded out by it um we uh, she liked um, she was a vegan and straight edge, yeah. and she whenever like, she had a little extra money, just she, like Bob Dylan, was. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and whenever she had a little extra money, she went and bought a bootleg. Yeah, that was her thing. She had a huge collection of Bob Dylan bootlegs. I think that's cool. I, I think that's it great. is in retrospect, it's kind of cool, but it's also a little obsessive. And uh, well, you know. but I think. You would plead guilty to being obsessive about music yeah. in some regard, right? I Yes, but not just one Not artist. just one, but, you know, so the obsession takes many forms. You know, your obsession is not my obsession, I'm sure. I'm way more obsessed with Queens of the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Than you are. You, you, you're like, you haven't even heard the new record. That's I have not even heard it. No. To me. Well. This is not working. Oh, well. Yeah, I might have to drop some of that in post. So yeah, I I think this like we used we met. Are you hearing? No, I'm going in and out. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It it is definitely as long as you can hear me into the microphone, and my voice is projecting in a manner that is picked up. I'm happy with it. It's definitely going into the computer, which is where we need it the most. Um, I don't usually always mess with the headphones, but I thought that in my little pipe dream of like playing some music while we were talking, um, that this might. Uh, be cool because we could then listen to it, but it's not fucking working. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Um. All right. So Ryan, you and I met when we were both writing for Punchline, yes. and you were not living here when you started writing for for Punchline. Uh, Correct. You were li- still living in Virginia Beach, right? 
Uh, Norfolk, actually. Um, yeah, living in Norfolk at the time. But yeah, um, went to high school in Virginia Beach and then uh, college in Norfolk. So uh, yeah, um, I started writing for Punchline. I was just out of college, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, just graduated, maybe even my senior year. I can't remember. Um, but uh, uh, my sister was roommates with someone who... Was it Abby? Yes. Yes. I thought it was her that got you involved. Well, I don't even think she got me involved. I think I came up here to Richmond one day, because we used to come up to Richmond with semi-frequency, I guess, over the years for shows and... um, There it is. Hear that? It's working. What's that? It's Monster Magnet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we'll be... We'll be coming back to that, but I just want to make sure that that's. Uh, want to make sure that worked. We could just do Ooh. a monster magnet podcast. We can. Why not? Why not? That's we'll one of the we'll things that, that we we'll we have in common. Because I, re- I think the first thing I read by you when you were corresponding as a writer for a punchline was yeah. a big ass column about um, God says no, maybe, or no. Um, it was earlier than that. It was um, power trip. Power trip. Yeah. And I was like, who is this motherfucker that is writing about my band? And my, my shit, I'm the stoner rock writer guy. Well, and you know what's so funny looking back on it? I would say <clears throat> an interesting thing about music in general. Um, if you could look back at that period of Monster Magnet. We are now doing the Monster Magnet podcast. We are. Why not? This is it. Um, you can look at a band like Monster Magnet. And by that time, what's that, 95, 96? Right. There were certain people, and probably... That was 98, actually. 98? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. That's when Power Troop came out. Okay, so by that time, there were people who were like, this band is over. Done. Jumped the shark. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, been seeing them for 10 years mm-hmm. already, or mm-hmm. whatever it is, 8 years, 7, 8, whatever. And uh, if that's always fascinating to me that, uh, you know, uh, and that was not my jumping in point with the band. Right. But... It's always fascinating to me that everybody's jumping in point is different. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was their big, like, they had been on a major before that, but they were on A&M at that point. They got a big push. They got a they got a video that just hit. Right. And they were at the that tail end, or maybe even the high point almost, of, like, uh, indie rock radio taking over of the class. Not taking over. There was competing a, with classic hits. Right? They may have. They're still <laughs> running off the fumes of. There was a lot of sponge albums being played at that time. Yeah, they, I think they were getting that. Um, like everybody had drank the Kool Aid on electronica and hip hop and all of this DJ music and all of this stuff, and there was this low rumbling thing where people were like, "Why are they trying to kill rock and roll? No, we're not going to let rock and roll die." And then all of a sudden, there there was this re, this reactionary. Rebellious, quietly rebellious thing of like I'm going to listen to 70s rock and roll. I'm going to listen to garage bands. I'm going to listen to all of this. And I think that even though most people wouldn't consider like Power Trip to be in any way related to that because it just sounded like stadium rock. Which yeah. you know, ironically, those guys started out like at, from the punk scene, like which yeah. which was against that stuff. And they ironically sang about stadium stuff, but then hit, then became one of those big. Sure, but rock bands, and and my indication is that, um, you know, they never or, or Dave Windorf in particular never fit in that punk rock scene, even right. though he was certainly a part of it, right? And grew up in it, right? Um, 
but you know, you listen to that. You've listened to interviews with him where he talked about seeing T Rex and mm -hmm. Pop and right, New the York Stooges, Dolls right? And suicide and whoever else. And I think I, I guess I react when you say like, oh, there is this reaction against electronic or electronic. I'm not saying against, but like it just seems like it's it's just all so cyclical, to right? Me. And I think of Monster Magnet specifically just being on, like, uh, believe it or not, for for an album we're talking about just being essentially stadium rock. Right. Just, like, uh, really just one of those fr flag bearers of fringe rock and roll. Sure. And especially when I first heard them, um, I, don't, I don't feel like there were a whole lot of bands. There probably were, but I wasn't listening to them. I don't feel like there were a whole lot of bands that were... Um, you know, like flying the flag for Hawkwind mm -hmm. and the MC5, and just being a weirdo. Yeah, and, and um, you know, we we really could do the Monster Man podcast. We could do that for a while. I don't think anybody wants to hear. This that, is a but. who cares? This is my. <laughs> Somebody's gonna find it interesting. Because, like, think again. There is <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. But for me, being the. Although I no longer partake of THC, it still has taken root in the way that my brain works. And, like, I love to find all of these connections between things. And for me, Dave Windorf was, his attitude was very much a foundational kind of a spiritual thing for me at one point. Or at first it wasn't spiritual. It was just like, this guy's like the Walt Whitman of rock and roll. It's song of myself, <laughs> you know. He would be talking about the way that Walt Whitman did in Leaves of Grass. You know, he's talking about humping volcanoes and like, yep. you know, he's way bigger than the small conditions of being a mortal man. He's like flying with the planets. He's, you know, I talk to planets, baby, the ego, the living, you know. He's right, but he's self-mythologizing. And you could say it's totally delusional <laughs> or, or at the same time, it's like, hey, you know what? I don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm you really think Walt Whitman was delusional. No, I don't. I think, I think he was like. I think he was inspired by the same thing that he's like going to say. I'm, I'm writing my own mythology. I'm mythologizing myself. Like instead of being um, a participant or uh, like uh, my roommate's trying to call me actually right now. We keep um, him up. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't talk so loud. Huh, let me pause this. It hurts my mellow a little bit too. That's what. That's the. So Ryan just had to go out and move his car. My roommate was out there laying on the horn because he was blocking the driveway. <laughs> ghetto. It's so ghetto. So I was – so my, my whole stoner treatise on uh, Dave Windorf, at least at one point where I was at my most delusional. I was <laughs> living in New York, and I'm listening to um, Super Judge and uh, Spine of God and then Power Trip. And I was just like, you know – my ego trying to survive in Manhattan, I was just like, yeah, this is how I'm going to, you know, like, I'm just not going to worry about what boy, I'm just going to build myself up, like build myself. Up. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough road to hoe. Yeah. It's not good. It didn't work uh, for him. Very no, well. not, not too much. <laughs> I think he'll tell you that. But on the other hand, it did. I think he'll tell you that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's still alive. He, uh, you know, now he's living, the center of the universe. Fantastic life. Maybe. Mm. Um, have you seen him lately? Not in person. No, but I mean like pictures or anything. Not in pictures. He's not skinny <laughs> anymore. He's he got. <laughs> that's that okay. Last <laughs> hey, that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm not, not here to judging it. I'm just I'm not saying. here to weigh my musicians. 
know? I like Leslie West. I know, but he looked so cool, skinny on the pink cross flying through, you know, space, singing, uh, what was that? Um, you thought he looked cool. Twin Earth. Yes, I did. I did. Other people I was watched it went, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. Look at this dude. Check out this dude. Jersey mustache, mirrored shades. Fucking buck I mean, teeth, I, I'm not yeah, no shirt, leather jacket, <laughs> swinging his arms around. It's Guitar great. is just there for a prop. Fantastic. It's beautiful though. I mean, and I love that kind of individuality because I was all right. So I was getting cracked down on by the the Manhattan cool, and so <laughs> stuff like <laughs> that Boy. kind of thing, that Boy. freak show stuff. I mean, the Jersey guy. He's the Jersey. Guy. He's a bridge and tunnel dude. Like, he is, but like I said, I, I also just associate it more with just um, freak scene. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that's his thing, right? I mean, right. He, has, he has as much to do with Detroit as he does to New Jersey as he does to mm-hmm. London mm-hmm. to me because, um, God, he was just really all over the place with his sound and, and his lyrics as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think he's a I don't I don't know that he's much of a fan of Kiss and I don't know if it's fair to But in he any sounds way. kind of like Paul Stanley sometimes, I think. But Kiss kinda <laughs> have this thing. I, I it's kinda like Star Wars where like mm-hmm. if you were born within a certain number of years, um well, that's not even fair. Kiss and Star Wars, I will say that's fair. Monster Magnet, it's a whole different scene. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, there's a certain... Uh, All right, but we are both... Un- there's a certain type of person that's just never going to like that. Right. Right? And then there's a certain type of Well, Kiss of can't get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Aren't they in? They're not. Who cares? They haven't been let in yet, but that's because... Can you know, believe that place has not been burned down <laughs> yet? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's ridiculous. Did you, the most recent one was really... Rush. I'm surprised the center of the earth... I mean, Rush. the earth didn't cave in under that spot and suck... Was it Chuck D, Getty Lee, uh, John Mayer, <laughs> Anne and Nancy Wilson? I mean, all these people on stage at the, at the same time. It was like, this can't I, happen. You know, it should have been some kind of a gravitational singularity. Or well, an yet it continues to happen, right? I mean, how long has that thing been open? And every year they do the the killer jam at the end of the wait for right. 17 minutes. And, you know, you're like playing the Where's Waldo of... Kind of classic rock and popular culture. I love and it. And I'm sure that's it's freak cool. too. That's fr- it's gotten to be. That's Listen, freak, some freaky all those shit. people, uh, they seem to be enjoying themselves. Yeah, you know. And when for I some see, reason, uh, Dave Grohl is the goddamn core jester of the whole thing. Like he's he was like the uh, G.E. Smith. Of, uh, <laughs> he is. Of oh our century, my god! Or our decade. Maybe. He, he's turning into G.E. Smith. He's a little more vocal than G.E. Smith. He's got shit to say. You never could see G.E. Smith at the uh, no, but on a panel. No, but always saw G.E. Smith around. <laughs> he was. Yeah, he was always there mugging in, at, on Saturday Night Live. He was always or, involved. Yeah. <laughs> he was always involved. He was in Hall & Oates. He was their guitar player, I wasn't he? I think he was a, a, a serious session guy yeah. or something. Um, he was married to, I want to say, Gilda Radner. Really? Yeah, prior to... Uh, do you have a smartphone over there? I, think you might I do. That up. I think that's true. He was definitely married to somebody famous, and it was a very one of those very short-term things. Okay, so... It might have been Paul Schaefer. But you and I unironically like Monster Magnet, and I can still recognize that... Now, m- most people that I talked to him about in when I was in the indie community in New York and working at 
a label, they were like, yeah, you know, the first two records are cool, but forget it after that. Well, and, and, and I never felt that way, but I didn't feel that way either. But again, that's that's a story with every band under mm-hmm. the sun. It's mm-hmm. like, again, with that jumping off point, right. that jumping in point mm-hmm. or the jumping off point. <laughs> There's always <laughs> that that thing of where people are like, it was only good up to this, right, right, you know. But there are other people who say that was the first time I heard them, and that mm-hmm. was great, mm-hmm. and I still, you know. Um, but I went back I and know. forth between. I don't remember what my. I think I had a tape of Spina God, and then and somebody had tried to get me to listen to that in the early '90s, and I was like, this is too weird. It's like Danzig and old Soundgarden, and I, you know, I didn't get it at all and then it hit me at, at the right spot where i'm in that least east village rock and roll fantasy delusion too many drugs lots of weird shit going on and then i came across it and it made perfect sense to me and i got what he was going for and i loved how his although he's doing like cock rock butt rock kind of riff rock shit there's these lyrics that are about god knows what they're referencing marvel comics and yeah, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. Blue and <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, he he has a, a, a he was a curator of of a sort. <sighs> you know, it, it's I I can't Sigh. even think. I, well, I don't know, man. I have so many thoughts about that guy. It's probably disturbing, um, because I really do. I really mm-hmm. hold him in like the highest regard that you can hold. Um, a musician or an artist, yeah. if you would even believe that, or, yeah. or a guy who Why lives we, in Jersey. I think you can unapologetically say that. You can call him an I artist can. and a musician and a, and a philosopher and uh, I will. a leader. And uh, You can <laughs> kiss the right side of your brain. <laughs> um, I will. A I God. don't know if he thinks of himself that way. So, so kind of when I say, uh, I don't know, I don't know if he's kind of, or... If well, he, here to get, I don't this think is, he... This is how Ryan's brain I'm digests Dave Windorf. We're not trying to get the Dave, Dave Windorf's take on Dave Windorf. I want to, you know, Ryan can unapologetically say what Dave Windorf means to him without having any caveats, no ironic escape hatches. That's my new. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Now, uh, I recognize that you have a reputation to G. maintain. G.E. Smith mm-hmm. was married to Gilda Radner. Oh, my God. From 1980 to 1982. So I thought it was even earlier than that. That's, so yeah. that's um, incredible that you re- remember that, too. Got so two all. years. I got all Was that Gene Wilder was after that? Then? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, apparently. I would have yeah. said, uh, I would I thought they were married from, I thought they got married in 1942. Right. Right before the war. Right. <laughs> they, they, they did seem to be is sort Gene of. Gene Wilder still alive? He is. Wow. Yeah, and there was. I was listening to Mel Brooks being interviewed yeah. on a couple different podcasts not long ago, and yeah. people were like, what's up with you? He was making the rounds. He's like, oh, yeah, that man's ahead. He's like up in the hills somewhere. We can't get at him. Yeah. Yeah. In the way that Mel Brooks would say that. He's like kind of doing the J.D. Salinger thing. He's not, he's not reachable for interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a shame, man. We're not going to see Silver Streak 2 anytime soon. That's then, okay with me. Who would even Who would do that? Chris Tucker and sure. no, but he's even too old. Uh, Kevin Hart. We Why already not? saw. What was Why it Chris, Chris it's, Pine? It's, and it's a it's a, Kevin a comedian. Okay. And uh, it's Shia Gene Wilder. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying you have to get um, Gilda Radner. 
<laughs> and uh, uh, her husband. Okay, so I noticed you because yes. of Monster Magnet, and and we can come back to that. Right. But like here, I'm we the probably guy. Probably shouldn't. I'm. We're going to. Okay, it's going to happen. Nobody interested. <laughs> yes, there are people. Somebody's interested in everything. That's the great thing about the. Plus, they're probably interested in listening to us geek out about it, which is that in and of itself is an anthropological, scientific study. Like it, seeing somebody muttering to themselves on a train, you know, um, why is that guy dressed like that? <laughs> you know, why are these yeah. two grown men? But you accidentally see things like that. <laughs> I always think of like podcasts as like, I've gone through some effort to track this down. Yes, but there's so much polished stuff out there. People, I'm trying to offer the real. Oh, so I don't know. I'm I offering the real I'm thing. Not, I'm yeah. not criticizing. I hope you know that. I do recognize that you have. You are going to be. You've got your Revolt of the Apes brand that you've got going on. Oh, so you're. you're what I don't is, like that. <laughs> it, it is kind of like you're going to DJ this festival that's coming up. What is it? A week from this weekend. The WR. Commonwealth of Notions uh-huh. thing. Yeah. I'm not doing the whole festival. I think there's... I thought it was a marathon DJing session like Andrew W.K. playing drums at that Virgin Megastore for several days. You were just going to be spinning obscure psychedelia for... I don't know what that Andrew W.K. thing is. Oh, you know about that? He no. played drums for um, like three days straight in a r- record store. Is he sure that wasn't David Blaine? <laughs> That sounds like something David did I he do in a block of ice. The same person. He just puts on a wig and he's Andrew WK. He's an interesting guy, man. I he think. I'm sure David Blaine is as well. But um He's not as pretentious as David Blaine. That's what I like about him. Well, you know. Who is da- where is David Blaine anyway? Did he finally disappear? Block of ice. <laughs> I think he, he do some magic. <laughs> he probably has a theater in Branson, Missouri or something, right? I heard it. He's probably on some island somewhere with a zillion dollars because yeah. he knows how to float or make people think he does. That he does. He's a, he's the classic. Either uh, way, three card Monty. He's taken that to new heights. And that was his original thing. Is like he did. I've seen him do some terrific up close magic. What they call up close, magic. right? Where you can barely you see. You know Ricky J. Uh uh-uh. uh You don't know Ricky J. I don't. Remember in Boogie Nights. When William H. Macy, near the beginning, uh, is leaving the shoot, and uh, he, he walks past his wife in the driveway. Oh, yes. And, and that, he, his wife was an actual porn star. Correct. What was her name? I think it was Nina Hartley. It was. But I might yep. be wrong. It was. It was. Definitely. That's the only porn star I know. That's why I know that. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> William H. Macy walks by her, and he's all flustered, and uh, he's talking to a guy who I think is the cameraman. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, my wife's down there in the driveway with an ass in her cock. <laughs> the guy he's talking to is Ricky Jay, ah. um, who also does narration in Magnolia. And he is like uh, maybe the world's foremost expert on up-close magic. Is he the guy? Oh, wait a minute. Is he the guy that's in the David Mamet Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 House yeah. of Cards. Uh huh. I know the guy. One? Yeah. He was also in Deadwood. Real was he? I yeah, never yeah. saw Deadwood. Fat, greaseback hair. But he, this guy is like the uh, almost I the curator of all I old school Deadwood. magic and whatever. In yeah. addition, that his many bag of tricks. So He's David Blaine, I think, did some of that up mm-hmm. close. I mean, street magic, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what they call it? That's yeah. That's so weird. Street magic. <laughs> 
Um, Do you, did you ever see Time Bandits? Duh. I saw it in the theater, and I don't know if I've seen it since. Do you remember the ogre? I have a. I, I remember a ship. Uh, you know. He he had a tr- he couldn't cough people. properly because his back was messed up, and he was on the boat with the lady from Soap. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they pitched it. <laughs> We're gonna put this ogre. We're gonna put the lady from soap. <laughs> what is her and name? An ogre. I don't know. No, I never really watched soap. Yeah, the, the red-haired lady that's like in a lot of stuff. She's looked about the same age for thirty years. Okay. Madeline Kahn. She's kind of like that vintage, but I, I can picture. But didn't she play the mom on uh, Who's the Boss? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's the weird like cougar milf. Weirdo grandma, like I don't. I would have said almost, yeah. I don't like the incense. I bought this Cruella Deville at a gas station on Williamsburg Road because it said yoga. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you know it's good. My, I put it in the car and it wasn't even lit. My mother said, "I don't like the way that uh, incense smells." They're not allowed to print that on there unless it's really good. Yoga. That's right, man. That's a serious assertion. Isn't incense there. almost like pizza? In what way? Do you ever like really be like that incense sucks? No, Ooh, yeah, piece right. of pizza. You're like, it's, yeah. The worst piece of pizza is. Uh, I would still say it's okay. like that, right? That Woody Allen, what he said about orgasms. Does he say they're like pizza? Uh, no, he said. Uh, somebody, somebody was talking about. Well, now I finally had the right orgasm. He goes, right orgasm. I'd, everyone I've had has been even worse. Pretty much right on. Or something along those lines. I don't know. I'll that. be cutting that one out. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, I remember that being very funny in Manhattan. Or I guess I couldn't do it oh justice. So we Woody's a tough one, man. You gotta have the you gotta have the right delivery for that. Yeah. The right stammer. The right it also comes with Yeah. It's a lot of Woody. And then looking Woody. at him and imagining him having sex is a mm. a whole other thing. It's a thing I will not engage in. So it's the one thing I won't engage in. We were both writing. I, s- I immediately began hating on you when I saw this huge column space. I'm just admitting this, that you, you get like a thousand words to talk about Monster Mag, and I'm writing like 150 words about anything I could get my hands on from Man's Ruin, which was pretty much the reason I was writing for Punchline was so I could get free promos from Man's Ruin. And sure. I pretty much liked everything they were putting out <laughs> at that point. Much of it was very questionable. See, so and now you're uh, not so dissimilar from your girlfriend from New York in her uh, Bob Dylan fixation. You uh-huh. just fixate on a label. That's What's the real difference? Well, there were a lot more Because one might even say there voices. might be more variety <laughs> in the Bob Dylan catalog <laughs> than in the Mandrew again. I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying possibly you could Sons say... Sons of Otis, Space Jumbo Fudge, that was one. Was it Earthling on there? The Earthlings were on there. Yeah. That was some... some I like I liked a lot of that uh, stuff. In the helicopter. I, liked a, I think I liked a lot of that stuff. I haven't listened to a lot of it in a long time. Yeah, the helicopters I still love. Now, I wanted to say this about David Windor for a little while ago, is that he is the guy who will tell you that the Stooges aren't just these the raw power guys that most people think of them as that when they thought of Stooges, especially at that time period, he's like, they're also this kind of weird psychedelic band. Like their original name was the Psychedelic Stooges. Sure. And, and he's like, I want to sound like the first Stooges record, not Raw Power. Like he had songs that, you know, 
really were coming out of that weird tradition. And, you know, yet people would say that's not punk rock. Well, he's, you know, taking on uh, one of the great templates for punk rock, you know, pre-punk. I guess I don't think of a lot of people making that distinction uh, between Raw Power and, like, early Stooges. I guess in my mind, either you know about the Stooges and you like them. You don't know about the Stooges, and then there's probably a small I percentage know, of people who do know about them and don't like them. Right. Um, so I think most people either just don't know about the Stooges, like, uh, I, I don't well, know I'm what that is. Well, I'm talking about the people that know about the Stooges. But I think like, most people who know about them just like them. I don't think there's, st- I, I don't run into a lot of people who would be like, yeah, that first album, that's some bullshit. Well, I'm basing this and and I think you you're Whoever probably you, right. But I haven't run into was some, this your girlfriend. No, these were some idiotic uh, punk musicians that I had to share a warehouse with in Southern California. Well, that's the thing. They were Southern California punk. Well, the, <laughs> the, well, um, yeah. I don't know. That's I was listening thing. to some early Monster Magnet around the, one of the guys. The band Gish was his name. It's a band called the Smut oh. Peddlers, and he was like. What the hell is this stuff? And I'm like, well, it's you know, it's just like the old Stooges, like late '60s Stooges. He's like, no, that stuff's crap, man. After you know, Raw Power is where the Stooges start. That stuff beforehand was just like the dry run. You know, that was his opinion. Well, and then uh, you know what? Conventional wisdom would tell you that the Bee Gees later stuff was the highlight of their career, right? And a lot of people have no idea whatsoever about the records they made and the. After Saturday Night Mid to Fever? late 60s. No, oh, before, oh, before that. Right, right, yeah. right. Which was just what, like, kind of, was it psychedelic pop? Like, where yes. Was, yeah. Yes. Uh, very much in the, maybe the Hollies mm-hmm. type vein. Mm-hmm. Very fantastically orchestrated and candy colored, but always with this, you know, the Beach, Beach Boys. Beach Boys were pretty good. They were. The yeah. Bee Gees were pretty good, too. <laughs> and I'd say Bee Gees, better in Pet Sounds. But they... What? That <laughs> I say any BG song any BG's by itself is better than the entirety of Pet Sounds. So I'm not really saying that. I Ryan, do like saying better than Pet Sounds. I think that's a great way to give something a compliment. Some, uh-huh. No, I don't I don't even think I think if you say it enough, it just breaks down that feeling that like we we should be like ranking and, and right. comparing these albums like you know well, that this was is a, a better album. Well, like, what's a better album? Right. So, if you like something, just say it's better than Pet Sounds. It's better. It's okay. Better than Pet I'm going to start practicing it's, it's, that. I think it's a fun thing to do. It's a fun exercise. And then the next time you listen to Pet Sounds, you'll go, you know what? I'm not sure that I have ever listened to that much. whole record. It's like the new Queens of the Stone Age record <laughs> for me. So I have not listened to that whole thing. Do yourself I heard it's a favor. Better than Pet Sounds. It's it is. It's is it better than, than Pet Sounds? It's better than Pet Sounds. It's better than wow. Sergeant Peppers. It's better than Sergeant uh, Peppers well doesn't blow off the tongue as well. Do you think? No, and that's just whatever. Do you um, like Sergeant Peppers? I do, but it's not my favorite Beatles album. I don't I think it's many people's. I like, well, probably is. Well, that's the one that's like the Bee Gees later. I mean, it's I think you're right. Yeah, that's the high. Abbey Road is more my thing. It's probably the one people could name, right? And that's the big. Everybody knows that was the ushered in the summer of love. It's just got one of those big cachet things around it. But I mean, all of that stuff is constantly being. I mean, there's the established old rock criticism thing that you know that that you know the '80s, the baby boomer 
right. stuff. And then there's this revisionist. The narrative. All of these asswipes that came along after Lester Bangs and, and up to now who <laughs> have a different take. And sometimes they just bring shit out to be contradictory or contrary. Um, I thought that Pet Sounds was, and the whole Brian Wilson bring back thing, I'm not saying he didn't deserve, but I always found it weird because that stuff was such a, like, they're just these empty, like, pop songs about surfing and all this crap. And then <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm about to fall over. I'm not saying that's how I feel now. I'm saying that when they, everybody, I started seeing these this buzz everywhere about Pet Sounds and then right. Smile and Brian. Sure. And I went to see the movie that that guy made about him that was not was as his backup band. Like, th- yeah, you've never seen that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it's I'm not made for these times. I saw that at the film forum. Thank uh, you very much. The documentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. I've seen that. I thought you were talking well, about was some, like, some like you know a concert tour. Uh, no, like I thought you said some kind of movie like uh, like where was not was was playing the Beach Boys or something. You know, or no, or but they backed Brian Wilson sure. up in that documentary. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah, I could see that. Don was is like a very respected, probably like studio type right. guy. Right, he's one of those guys that he's musicians, like a musicians, he was married to G.E. Smith. Oh, I know. I think years. he just had a, a pint of his semen in his stomach at one point. That's horrible. <laughs> that rumor is untrue about Gene Wilder. <laughs> um, this is a big mess because we're talking about so much different stuff. I can't decide if we keep talking about rock and roll or we go back to the Ryan. Muldoon oh story. I got to think. What are you doing right Rock now? I know that I see that you, now your daily updates are sometimes they're we're all one spiritual kinds of things about sort of a comic book frames with you know, Thich Nhat Han underneath them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that That's it. I'm summing that up. That is it. And is that related to Revolt of the Apes as a brand in any way? Absolutely it, not. It isn't. No, These but it's just all just me, right? Right. So right. the Revolt of the Apes is just the website that I pay for, mm-hmm. and uh, is it a WordPress? Website? Do all yeah, just a it's a it's a house for things I've written, um, and uh, it's kind of late to the game in that way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, people have been doing that now for you're twenty never, years. You're never the only. You're right. You're right. right. Never, shouldn't think of it that way. Right. But um, I don't think of it. I certainly, I, I truly, and I mean that I do not think of it as a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what I'd do if I did. What's wrong with the, what do you, what's your problem with brand? You I, I just, uh, I, uh, I associate it with marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's fine. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I um, have worked in marketing. What was it originally? You know? What was it originally? Yeah, where's the name brand come from? Where's that come from? Oh, I don't know. The fucking the thing burning oh, on a sure. cow's okay. ass. It's yeah, just saying right. this is my cow. Right, right? but there's... Don't uh, steal my cow. It's my cow, right? So basically it's like, you know, it's like your tag. Is that where it comes from? Yeah. Was it a word before that? It had to be a word before that, right? Uh, Someone didn't just brand somebody and then say that I'm going to call that brand. I think it was very literally, it started out, somebody took some iron and they shaped it in like a thing and like a ranch and they put it on a cow's ass. Yeah, I understand the concept. I'm saying, do we think that's the invention of the word brand? You could this look is, it up. This is more it. boring than Monster it Magnet is. talk. We don't even get into it. Well, I don't think I don't think of it as a brand. I, I, I just... It's uh, your thing, and it's, it's like the catch. It, it's the, the umbrella for w- that which is Ryan Muldoon, the stuff that you're curating, uh, that you're interested in, that you're writing about. Sure. That's the yeah, 
Uh, apparently, yeah. I'm being vaguely tongue-in-cheek when I say brand, but I don't think it's oh, a cuss no. word. Oh, no, and I'm, I'm being vaguely tongue-in-cheek when I, uh, I don't want to offend reject you. that label. <laughs> it's it's fine. But I, mean, it, I was seeing it before I knew what it was associated with, and I see that a, that's good uh, marketing right there. As you just see Revolt of the Apes everywhere, I constantly am seeing, like, outtakes from the Planet of the Apes, you know, somebody in a mask drinking a martini in a in a beach chair, and I'm like, hmm, what is this Revolt of the Apes? And it's creating a buzz out there. And I'm like, what's well, he got going on? I have internet statistics mm-hmm. that will, without a shadow of a doubt, prove there is no buzz. Okay. <laughs> are these Google Analytics we're talking these about? These are WordPress statistics. Is it a f- like the bar graph where I it's can, a flat I can line or, or lower? I can any way you want. Mm-hmm. I can go... By day, <laughs> I can go by week. I can now go for more than three years of history of, of visits, of page views, clicks, clicks on, clicks Nobody off. Nobody cares, huh? Clicks on, clicks off. <laughs> Bounce rate. Buzz is a strong word. Well, it was buzz to me. I was picking up something. That's good. There. I like that. That's so fine. what I gathered is that you've got a site that's... I took it as dedicated somehow to Austin Psych Fest or, or connected somehow to that. Not in any official capacity. Um, I uh, went to the second Austin Psych Fest. Uh, I, I happened to be in Austin the mm-hmm. year of the second Austin Psych Fest. I was mm-hmm. actually in Austin the year of the first one as well in 2008, which was a one-day affair. I think like seven or eight bands, you know, and they called it Psych Fest. And uh, I remember asking somebody in Austin, I had seen the flyer, and I asked somebody, uh, how far is this place? They said, eh, you'd have to take a cab. <laughs> and I was like, eh. And then they said, and they kind of gave me a look and said, I think that place is like a commune or something. So, And I was like, uh, I don't know if I could <laughs> deal with it. You know, I had to be up the next morning to do some marketing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, wait a minute. You okay. So uh so I happened to be in town in 2009 uh the Austin Psych Fest was going on and I went and I just had the time of my life and uh, uh saw a lot of great bands and like uh, it just the craziest mix of bands, not the craziest, but well, And were they contemporary psych bands some both. Of them old? That like, was the great thing. There were bands I I had never heard or heard of before. Um Daughters of the Sun Minnesota? Do you know that band? Yes, they were I do. Man, they're from actually. Minnesota. That was a, like that was a band that just blew me away. Well, are they? I saw them. I think I saw them play with Pelt. Are they? They like bang on shit and yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Like it's um, um percussion and droning and like and the guys percussion look like and hairy droning and yeah bikers. Yeah, looking, yeah. yeah, long hairs, beards. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I saw them play in a very small gallery the size of this room with that Pelt. sounds about right. It was very awesome, actually. Fantastic band. <laughs> but I also saw Sky Saxon on that same festival weekend. And I don't know. Sky Saxon was the singer for The Seeds. Can't seem to make you mine. Nuggets. Pushing too hard, sure. Connected to. Dave Windorf. That's right. Monster Magnet. That's right. Covered. They were down with the fucking Nuggets was, before they were Nuggets. That was how I. I I probably read about Nuggets, but don't think I had any idea of what it really was until uh, probably 
around the time I know Monster Magnet covered Five Years Ahead of My Time by the third Bardo. Um, that is a sweet name. That's the greatest <laughs> name. And I think I think they only had like two singles, like one of those bands that just, you know, um, but have this great song called mm-hmm. I'm Five Years Ahead of My Time. And uh, I remember buying some Monster Magnet like promo type disc or single, right? Like a CD single with it. Then they would put like a B-side or a cover mm-hmm. song on it. I don't think anybody really does those anymore, do they? They fi- figure out other ways of doing it. Like they still put out those weird obscure like extra singles? tracks, hidden yeah, tracks. Yeah, extra singles. tracks. They, and it's, now it's like uh, if you pre-order it on Amazon. I tell you how I get the single is my Starbucks app. Well, they have free downloads, dude. <laughs> 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 it, goes, it goes straight from the app where I buy the coffee into my phone, into my iPhone. I, I get a free song understand. that I don't give a shit about. What is the app? She and what him or her Starbucks and he app? or whatever. What do you do? Oh, my God. You don't even have to show them it. You just... Show them that. And right, that I don't have to take my coffee. wallet out. It's like an easy pass. It's like having oh. the barcode or the number of the beast already etched into your arm. It's on my phone. I load some money into my phone. I take my phone there and I hold it up to their little UPC scanner. It pays for my coffee. Oh yeah, thunder only happens when it's raining. Yeah. Uh, and I also get my rewards through there, like discounts on. I'm talk about brands. They got me. Man. Like. I, I'm hooked in. I'm hooked into the rewards program. I got gold status on that shit. It's raw power. And they they give you free singles on there, like download of the week. Nothing I care about. I haven't even checked in. Contempt prior to investigation. I don't give a shit. Zooey Deschanel is. I like to look at her, but I don't. Care. <laughs> I don't care about her breathy, off key singing at all. Oh, come on. That's right. I said it. That's right. There's a whole bunch of people trying to sing like Cat Power, uh, like Sean Marshall, off key, uh, with that kind of something stuck in their throat and head voice and breathy don't like it at all i don't think cat power's off key no she's not oh okay but there's all right, all these all right. other women that you. if like if she can do well, that I'm, I'm gonna try that <laughs> thing and yeah oh well but so the austin psych fest piqued your interest and you like to write about the more of the older psychedelic bands like the garage kind of like or do you, who are the people who are, or is that what you write about? What do you write about? Well, um, so uh, the second year, I, I happened to be there and I, I saw it. And then uh, I made plans to go back the next year. I just thought, well, if they're going to do this again, I want to go because that was, that was great. Mm-hmm. And, and I really thought, like I said, between a band like Daughters of the Sun, who I'd never heard before, mm-hmm. and which, you know, to this day, to this day, it's been a whole six years or something um but mine still blown sure certainly Mm -hmm. like a band that will definitely stick with me forever right Mm -hmm. like a band like that and then something like sky saxon who to me is is someone who who is kind of forever he's like a rocky erickson but even more obscure than rocky erickson would you say that yeah maybe although in some ways yeah, well, he's not alive anymore, so um, I don't know if that makes you more obscure. or less obscure. Way more. Way you think more. so? Because mm-hmm. a lot of people's legends grow when they die, though, <laughs> That's right? That's true. That is that happened. true. I, mean, I kind of said that A well-timed rock and roll death will do wonders for your It'll career. It'll make you famous as shit. Yeah. It'll bring the brand back. Eventually. <laughs> right? <laughs> like even death, Nick Drake got his. Death is good for the brand. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay, Rocky Erickson, is this why it's in Austin, 13th yes, floor elevators? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, it was essentially started by um, uh, a couple guys from the Black Angels and mm-hmm. a couple of their friends. I've seen them. And uh, they still run it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the Black Angels is, are from Austin, and I think they have a high degree of reverence for... Um, the 13th floor elevators mm-hmm. and um, you know I still don't think despite and and they they despite anything that you could write or read or learn or know or find out about the 13th floor elevators I still don't think we can ever understand exactly what they were up to um, I mean we can we can understand that's because we'd be trying to use reason and logic to describe something right. that is genius right yeah <laughs> like a, a total um, you know bone to satellite type of thing mm-hmm. right right are we talking yeah 2001 so we apes throwing a bone that turns into yes. a satellite yes. okay Revolt of the apes. I, i'm telling you the stoner thinking never went away so and i haven't touched the stuff and <laughs> that's good it's good yeah it just opened my mind and it stayed open dude sure no yeah. i think that's good I think that's very good. So that Rocky Erickson was like that. He was his rock and roll was the thirteenth floor the elevators. Uh, right, Rocky right. Erickson was certainly part of that. But right. I hope Rocky doesn't like it. On, yeah, he's talking. Rocky back doesn't right like now. it. Um, maybe it's Sky Saxon. <laughs> Dude, that thunder is. It's I'll show Sky you obscure Saxon. sunlight Saxon. Lightning flies through the microphones and fries s- our brains. Sunlight. Saxon. There's nothing but a couple of charred piles of flesh sitting here rocky erickson was a part of the 13th floor elevators but i think the 13th floor elevators as a group were you know uh something else i mean i think rocky has has rightfully had um kind of a legend grow around him another Um, brian wilson kind of guy too not anywhere near as big but still like the guy with the tragic story about being mentally ill and having shock treatment and all this other crap going on and we wanted like Try to haul him out and prop him up on stages and see. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there, there's some of that. I think. Um, God, I, I just don't know how to how to kind of respond to such no, a dismissal. No, kind of like a. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like. Well, man, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I guess so. I think a Brian Wilson is. Is just being far more successful in, in at being in dysfunctional, just in kind of a crass handlers. materialistic mm-hmm. way. You know, had number one hits mm-hmm. s right. to the point where he said, "Hey guys, I'm just going to hang out at home, and, right. and you guys tour, and I'll write the songs here in my house." And sit in my sandbox all day mm-hmm. and, and do you lots know, of cocaine and all kinds of do, other drugs and uh, yeah, a lot of listen LSD. To the Supremes is it? Will the you Supremes, still, that was his jam. Well, you know the story is always. Um, I don't. I don't know how true this is or, or how much of a gross overgeneralization this is, but um, uh, I guess. Brian Wilson heard Revolver mm-hmm. and like Pet Sounds is like his response. Yeah. To re- not response, but was certainly like, oh my God. Yeah. They took music to a whole new level or right. popular music or rock and roll, whatever it was that he was interested in. Like, this is it. 
he does pet sounds and the Beatles hear pet sounds and think the same thing, essentially. I think at least Paul McCartney is on mm-hmm. record as saying mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, when I heard pet sounds, we were like, this is it. You know, they made Sergeant Peppers like kind of their response to that. And then Brian Wilson just went insane. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that was it. Like he tried and it was just smile. Just never even got finished. Just could like it all. I mean, that's a, like I said, a gross oversimplification. It, it was okay. So when we really lay things out like this, Rocky Erickson's not in that ballpark, but he's that kind of, you know, tragic, like schizophrenic, weird shock treatment guy that like, I think he got locked up for smoking weed. So he's a, he's a romantic hero, the great loser. Like, I mean, that's, I would say more, and you're calling it a freak. It's like the king of the losers. Like I remember somebody when I was listening to Blue Cheer, they were like, the, "It's the." It, this was a guy at, at Matador. I think he's like, "They are the, the you know, the penultimate <laughs> loser rock band." You know, um, it's great. I've never heard that. Yeah, and and so th- it's that loser thing. It's not not just the f- like freak, and and what makes somebody a loser too is that they have aspirations yeah. of greatness, and they stay in this kind of um, ob- obscure, like kind of ri- you know. I guess I, I I like Rocky so much, and I like Blue Cheer so much. I understand, like, that loser thing, like, that downtrodden thing. Not loser is a diss. Loser is the cool, like, not the way the, you know, the chicks on Friends say it, but, like, loser, like, you know, the underdog. Yes. The underdog, you know, and, yes. and also can't get it together either. I guess I don't always associate that with delusions of grandeur. No, they had aspirations of greatness. That's what I said. Okay. They wanted when to When you be say aspirations of greatness, I hear delusions of grandeur. Yeah. And, you know, semantics what maybe. But say? what I meant by that was that they wanted to be big. Like, they wanted, as much as anybody does, and they just stay legendary, but they never have the sales or any of that stuff to back it up. They're They're important to people like you and me and, you know, either rock critics or people who want to impress others. Uh, <laughs> is that all it is, though? Is that what it's down to? Well, that's a good way to separate the wheat from the chaff, or the you know the people, the dilettantes from the people who are seriously dedicated We're to the dilettantes. We we are, We're but there are those of us who are really de- dedicated, like losers, like nerds, like geeks, to something regardless of its marketability or its uh, coolness or its fashionable thing. We stay on that whether it comes or goes. You know, when when all of that comes and goes, and and I'm. That's what I associate because I started. I wrote something about Dave Windorf in 2004 about Monster Magnet, and I yeah. sent it to you, and you were like, "I don't. Uh, I think you're acting like they're over, and they're still consistently doing what they've been doing." And you know, and really? I was, yeah, I was giving them this sort of like talking about them like they were in a you know Elvis fat Elvis in an old folks home, and they weren't right. even. They were that was four records ago or five records ago. And Man, that but that is what you know. We build it up and we tear it down. You know, and and it's so strange to me that we do that when the opportunity is there for us just to enjoy the music that's available. Mm-hmm. You don't need to build up and break down, yet we do it constantly. Well, and it, it's I think not it's just with music, but with everything. With everything you know, sure. it's like it's with expectations. Everything. It's loading something up with the significance and and you know, putting all your needs <laughs> in it and. And some of the practices you're involved in now are like breaking down those assumptions about things and uh, and the amount that you load up something with thinking, you know, with attachment, with desire, yeah, all of that. That sure. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's true. I think. 
I think maybe because it's music that I um, enjoy the most, maybe, of all artistic pursuits, it, all, all of the arts. The music that you enjoy, the, it is music no, that you enjoy of all, creative, that I, okay. of all creative endeavors. That's your medium. Mm-hmm. I think so, although I, I do wonder if I read more about music... Then you listen to music. Then I listen to music. What do we I call that? Dialectics? Fair. Is that what that is? I think so. I hope not. <laughs> that horrible. is when it's philosophy. And it is a philosophy. Right? Because like, we're talking about what... It's most of this stuff is dude. not objectively... It's any a vibration. Right. Yeah, but it's really the vibration no of all the heads that are like... <laughs> there is no sound without the vibration, dude. There is. It's called ohm can't say it exists until it <laughs> vibrates, dude. Then you can't say it doesn't exist, dude. <laughs> you can't say the violin plays the symphony, can you? But no, without the violin. Nobody knows what we're talking about No now. symphony. But all of these heads, part of what makes it what it... Heads? And I, like, yeah, the, like, like head shop heads? Well, just people who are like seriously into something. Like, okay. you know, th- the guys that are writing about obscure psychedelic rock and... and Going places on pilgrimages. It's like a hip hop term now, right? What is? Or ten years ago, <laughs> fifteen years ago. Heads. heads? Oh yeah, Isn't well that like meant yeah. something else. A bunch of heads. guys standing in a club. There's too many heads in there. Oh, but okay. yeah, this is. But I'm talking heads like people who maybe were, you know, I sold a thousand hits to a thousand heads. It'll never come yeah, back. That's you like know a head shop head. Yeah, to right. me. But people who are you know tuned in they've gotten that far into something that they're on the fringes <laughs> like they're bordering on you know crazy that comes from doing too many you know psychedelics where you get a little disassociated like sid barrett or somebody like you go a little too far we're all disassociated it. now though man it's all happening now well sure and here comes the singularity just, you know we're all gonna cut loose and then we're That's gonna right. merge with computers so we can get so what's our the reason problem? and logic get I'm over yourself i love it are you i'm all i'm for it I'm are you? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm are like you really? I'm like Slim Pickens, right? I, now. I don't think you have to be for it or against it. If it's, it's going to happen, exactly. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with I it as well. I'm not, I, I just, I, I, I don't think I'm cheering. Well, there's. I think it's like it's everything natural else, and right? inevitable. Yeah. It's like cheering when the sun comes out. This, this movement towards merging with the technology we've created to extend our, I guess it is our like reach. When the sun comes out. What's that? <laughs> 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 it's like. Is it? Cheering when the sun comes up. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, like why I'm interested in when we got into a big talk about um, explorations of Eastern thought and getting, and, and really that it's getting away from thought. You know, it's get, it's trying to get to a uh, as as clean of an experience of just perception as possible. Like this woman in this book right here, uh, Emma Chaudron. Yes. Yes, she says. Um, when we we try to get to that place beyond conditioning or before conditioning, like yes, th- um, the source, right? Our own personal one too, which is you know, if you want to get all super head shop about it, it's like there the collective consciousness, which is the you know the awareness that's been in the fucking genes since the you know the the cells started dividing, like since there became this brain, this bicameral mind that has been getting passed down through the monkeys to us at this point that there is a there's a will 
there that gets the organs to run, that gets the fucking you know machine source, to get out of the right? bed, right? The machine, yeah, the, thing the that source, tr- the thing that drives the organic, the hum, right, right. And it's been making tools to improve its effectiveness in this world, whether it's a fucking stone right. axe or a hammer or a hoe or a plow or a Gutenberg press or electric guitar. <laughs> yes. It's like you're saying if you give a man an electric guitar, he automatically becomes Eric Clapton. That's what a that? oh, Dave. When Dave, uh, David Gilmore. David Gilmore said that in uh, Live David at Pompeii. They were, they were defending their movement into it. Uh, synthesizers at that point. They're like, it's still us playing the synthesizers. <laughs> so. <laughs> Isn't it funny that there was a time where they had to defend themselves for playing synth- Right? And like nowadays, and I think, I hope, and maybe that's a good thing, nobody cares. No. Nobody cares. Well, people will still come after. So people will absolutely still come after. But they're not in the majority. I mean, this. It's this not like a thing you have to have an opinion on. You know what? Right, there isn't a linear thing. I think at a certain point you had to have an opinion on Pink Floyd one way or another. That's they were There's extremely very few bands yeah. like that nowadays. Dr. Johnny Fever. Dr. Johnny Fever booth. nowadays. This is how I got turned on at Pink Floyd. Okay, and this is why Jack I bought Johnny animals. Fever? I swear to God. I'm watching WKRP in Cincinnati. Mr. Carlson walks into the booth. Dr. Johnny Fever is laid back with sunglasses on, looking comatose. And he's listening to dogs on a goddamn mainstream sitcom on yep. television yep. You know, channel six or whatever the hell it was C- cbs abc and, and you know what it's in the most broke down part of dogs where it's like the barking dogs and just the drum beats off in the distance and mr carlson's like wow that's cool johnny what is that <laughs> he goes floyd man <laughs> and i went out and bought that shit how old are you <laughs> Uh, well, okay, is this original right run WKRP? It was. I'll, I'll be. I Let didn't buy it right this. away. I was like ten when I saw that. Have you ever wondered? I bought it when I was fourteen. Whatever became of me? I have. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. In Cincinnati. Yeah, which is where Cincinnati WKRP is. That where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, or is it Cleveland? Cleveland. It's in Cleveland. Cleveland. The heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. Huey Lewis taught us that. That's right. He does give a shout out in the. In the end of the song, too. I heard if you get WKRP on DVD, none of the music is cleared. Oh, really? Yeah, it would cost. But is it there or, is, or no, it's not there? It's like not there, and I think in certain parts just the scene they edited can't even out talk about because the who? yeah. They, <laughs> no, I guess they could talk about it, but they certainly and maybe they even replace it with like uh, stock. That's fucking lame. It's just money, though, right? Yeah. It's just money. Like, I don't want to see that. I mean. I, I, would I, never I mean, I, I think it's lame to the point that I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know how much time I'm going to spend tracking down WKRP on DVD. Anyway, when I do that, I really have nothing. I'm else really to disappointed do. though when I see some movie and it's not even like as many s- songs that were in that, and I could tell they switched up the song on me because I they couldn't clear it, and I, I would see it on later on. I'm like, that's blasphemy. That was so integral to that scene. And you know, heavy metal could has ne- yet to be cleared because Harold Ramis said they wanted a ludicrous amount of money <laughs> for all of those songs. Listen, I saw <laughs> heavy metal not too long ago, and by that I mean fifteen or sixteen years. I've seen it far more recently than that. Does not. I don't. I wouldn't even say it doesn't hold up. I think it's fair to say it was not very good to begin with. It's better than heavy metal two thousand. Which has Monster Magnet and Queens of the Stone Age in the soundtrack. 
why should I even be comparing better and worse? Wasn't I complaining about that earlier? You were. And here we are trying to get to that place where there is no uh, alter, no, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, attachment. No, no attachment, no contrast. No, it's all one thing, dude. We are all one. Is that is that what your catchphrase is? We're all one, dude? One what? <laughs> it's like the old... Uh, one, the guy two. walked around the coffee sh- the Seven uh, Eleven. He sees Juan Valdez in the aisle, and uh, and he comes back around. And there's a guy at the counter, and he says, "Are you Juan?" He goes, "Yes. Are you Juan? <laughs> Are you Juan too? You don't remember that? I do. Is that what he really said? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do remember the commercials where it he was would just homoerotic. He humor. would just be <laughs> in the, like the supermarket. He'd, he'd give a little tip of the hat, and the guy thought he was going crazy, saying so Juan <laughs> Valdez. Yeah, um, it's all one thing. There used to be a uh, Mexican food chain called Taco Time, mm-hmm. and their their largest drink was called the Big Juan. Mm-hmm. You get like a sixty four. And there were no hands on that clock at Taco Time because it's always Taco Time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. This is fuck, no one is going to believe it. We're not on some kind of mind altering. I hope here. so. This is just goofy ass middle aged guys. Drink. I think people will have no problem believing it. Yeah. I think people will be be wishing we were on. <laughs> substance so you 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 got is that when you started the revolt of the apes i started it the next year Mm -hmm. in 2010 um originally i I was just thinking like i said uh, i want to go back and um i i really thought i don't want to go there and not know anyone Mm -hmm. you know what i mean need Uh, some other heads to hang out with I just felt like I didn't want to show up and then have to like I, I don't know why I feel like that was a problem, right? Because you still but found I, all the but cool I've always stuff. been writing about bands, and mm-hmm. it, I think it was also an opportunity to do some more writing at a time when I hadn't been doing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been writing for the Times Dispatch about music mm-hmm. for a couple of years prior to that. I think that had come to an end in two thousand and nine. So now in 2010, I had plans to go back, and I thought, well, this might be an opportunity to, A, do some writing, and B, uh, when I show up there in Austin, this time, uh, like, solely to, to, to go to this thing, mm-hmm. um, I, I might have a couple of contacts, right. you know. Um, and uh, would be that guy standing at the show with your beer. In the middle of the yeah, empty just floor by yourself. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. I and I'm I'm uh, maybe comfortable being that guy, or used to being that guy. Uh, but I, for some reason, thought I don't want to in this regard. You needed a psychedelic sangha. I did. <laughs> I never would have said that, and I will still never say that. <laughs> uh, that is my my domain. That's my brand. It's a, I'm sure cheesy shit like that. No. <laughs> no, not cheesy. It's, it, it all goes together. Not I'm cheesy. I'm sewing it all together. So not cheesy. Nobody would ever. So you found your psychedelic brethren. You went on a pilgrimage together, like Malcolm X going to on the, the Hajj. Uh huh. Um, I got in touch with uh, some website in Austin, a website called Austinist, mm-hmm. and I think uh, there's there's kind of like some sort of loose or tight. Uh, confederacy of websites like the LAist and the New Yorkist. I don't even know if they still exist. I really have no idea. Um, uh, there's like a gawker 
type of thing mm-hmm. or you know every every city has um this website telling you what's going on mm-hmm. and uh uh i said hey i i i've interviewed bands before i want to interview bands again for this festival here in town and they said great uh sure this guy's mm-hmm. offering us free content yeah you know so i think i ended and they didn't even ask if you if you were getting it published anywhere or anything like that you were just it's my website and i'm gonna no, I, what I what I mean is I I said, hey, would you like me to do this for your website? Oh, okay. Because I didn't have a website at that time. Oh, I just wanted okay. to do. I you know basically just pitched. So nobody them. was really kind of covering the whole Austin Psych Fest and sort of putting it all under. No, right, right. not not much. Um, and still, well, no, I mean they get uh, more coverage now. Um, but I still think, I mean, festival. it's like festival coverage. Mm-hmm. And I was like taking this approach of let's just interview all the bands that are playing. Yeah. Not, Not even just festival pick one, coverage. Right, right, like, right. hey, on Friday night, you want right. to see just like, well, let me just interview a bunch of bands. And then, you know, they ended up running maybe a dozen of those like uh, in like the six weeks leading up to the fest, like two a week. And it was just wow. great. Um, that's great. I don't know why that's great. That no, is it is. Uh, um, I so sincerely I, think so. That is. So it was, it was nice. It was a nice. Like I said, it was a nice time to. Uh, even though interviewing isn't necessarily writing. Well, in, it's, in the in the strictest sense, it's it better in some, some respects because you're you're letting the it. bands talk for themselves, and you're yes. kind of going around and you're like, "What are all of these personalities that do see themselves as having this in common?" And let's hear what they have to say about their band and why they're here and all of that. Yeah, all the whole chorus gets to talk and gets to say. So you don't, you're not putting your dick on the whole thing and saying this is what I think it all is. No, daughters of the sun. What do you think it is? Uh, you know. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. And so then I just decided, well, I should have somewhere to house these. Right. I mean, they'll be on sure. the Austinist website, I guess, for a while, and maybe they still are. Um, but I should have a place to house these, and then, um. Generally, I've kept it up since then, and and so that's what Revolt of the Apes is now. And how do you do? You put mu- music on there. I mean, do you S- sometimes? Yeah. I mean, I, I do like a band of the week thing, which is um, rarely weekly, mm-hmm. and occasionally not even a band. <laughs> um, what is it when it's not a band? I think Alan I've had an Watts artist. Speaking. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I think I've only not done a band like once or twice. I think I did a, a um, like a zine. Mm-hmm. This guy did that I thought was great. Um, you like a printed zine? I was like, this is a band of the week. So I think this I is a word that actually, speaking of the Nerdist, I was listening to Alex Winter. You know, he just made a documentary about the Napster thing, right. like, and all of that. Yeah. And and they were talking about the thing that they are looking for that is kind of missing. In the, uh, the access to music now is that you know when you got an algorithm telling you that this is you, you'll like this because you like that you get stuck in a loop between uh, the Smiths and the Cure for you know whatever and they miss the curating and like I don't really like the buzz the buzzwords like that like relevant right. and, and curating. curating but this is a significant concept to me I like that that and that there are there's a personality who is taking it upon himself you know a guy who's gone out there to like gather the uh, rosebuds and put them all put, gather the nuggets. I mean, that's what these anthologies were like nuggets or the back from the grave things or whatever. Is that maybe anthology would be a better way? Or but it's a it's a. But I don't I don't think that's missing. 
in any way now. I think that is it's not missing. Amplified. It's, yeah. And the 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 algorithms, as you you rightly say, mm-hmm. those that are purely algorithms, will tend to be a little more wrong mm-hmm. and a little more sterile. This is a and good a, thing about what is going on. Is this is human element that's still necessary to make all of this? St- I think there's a together, human element that 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 brings it into the idea that. Um, you know, despite the the kind of medium it's present, I mean, where I feel like you were going with that, and I have not, I don't know where heard Alex Winter on the Nerdist. I think it might still be on my phone because I did want to listen to that. It's really good because I heard it was good. Um, where I felt like that was going, and where I feel like a lot of conversation about music goes, and it just annoys me. Mm-hmm. And I hope you didn't take that personally. Like, you're annoying me. No, no. But you are. And I'm leaving. <laughs> um, uh, I'm enjoying Like, it was going to a place where it would say, like, going along with anything oh, it's I'm too this bad we don't have zines anymore. Right. And it's almost like, well... Who read those fucking things anyway? No, I just think it's like, it's just a media... You know, it's... Uh, you know, when like... You know, there were people who didn't want the printing press to right, happen. Right. You know what I mean? They didn't want people writing knowledge the, down in this books. Right. It's just the medium. It's passed on. And, and he actually, I mean, to his credit, I mean, that is what he was saying is that, like, what's happened has happened. I mean, it's like it's this is this is, uh, you know, we've moved on and we're, and we're still moving and there's different stuff happening. And yeah. There's pros and there's cons and whatever. But it's that's the way it goes. And you can't just stand there in the rearview mirror shaking your fist, you know, going what, you know, the record. The business as it was. And I also guess, you know, I did a a couple of zines, like, in high school and and afterwards. Um, And I think I and probably almost everyone I knew who did a zine, I don't think you did it to... um, to, to kind of dictate anything or to provide any kind of guidance. I just think... It, you don't think so? No, I think it's one of those... Because it's a zine, and it's like, by the very nature of what it is, oh. it's just uh, what a lot of people okay, would call well, my a idea fool's the errand, it, right? Like, it's not going to well, make the, the money. Part, right, the part where you're doing all of this work for this. But the reason right. people are doing it's this is because they're like, I'm not getting endeavor. this anywhere else, so I'm going to supply it. Like, I'm going to make the thing. I'm going to... But I don't think it's always that. I think sometimes it's trying to replicate what you are getting and put your own spin on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it, uh, I think we've talked about this specific thing before, but there's Probably. a... But issue not on of, my podcast where I curate. There's an issue of Guitar World where they curate mm-hmm. a set of songs for Paul Stanley to listen to. Or, uh, no, that's not what it is. They, they they have him like going through the track list of like Kiss Alive or something for mm-hmm. the 25th anniversary of Kiss Alive or mm-hmm. something. And I swear every song is him going, well, we heard a free song and we were like, we should have a song like that. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, that was when we heard Brownsville Station, and we thought, we should have a song like that. And and I don't think he realized he was doing it, and I think you could read that kind of in a cynical way and say, like, and that's why Kiss doesn't have an original bone in their body. But I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's why they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do you know what I mean? I just think, um, I, I don't think it's always reactive. I think it's just productive. 
a lot of times yeah. to do zines, and that's where I think. But the, the website uh, is is that now, like you having your the own website, revolt of the apes right, thing. That's and, right. All and those so you websites can, and message boards and and chat rooms and FTP and it's sites equal that access. people have. There's and, nobody can, no matter what the fuck they do, they cannot make Rolling Stone's website more than your website. Like if I want to find your website, I don't have to get past Rolling Stone to get to it. It's not blocking my view of your website. No. And like in the past that was the like the the record marketing thing is like you don't know about all of this other stuff out there because it's only this little bit of shit that's on the radio. There's only this little bit of shit that's written about in Spin or Rolling Stone or whatever it is. And now it's all out there equal access. You can find whatever you want. The thing is, is that if you're not initiated at all to even begin that search, like you or I at some point got developed some kind of a, uh, you know, got got a pick and a brush and, you know, somebody showed the basic approach that you go looking deeper in the records store. Yeah, but you don't know, you think on some level you just did it? I'm not complaining that that... I, I think I think the impulse to just do no, it. No, I I have to be very look. I I will come right out and say that I wasn't a dyed in the wool like outside kind of guy. I was a very mainstream guy, and then I met a dude who made me mixtapes of Roxy Music and The Kinks when I was in. That goes back to that thing I said about the jumping in thing. So somebody like showed everybody me. Everybody jumps in somewhere. Well, somebody showed so. me this approach. First of all, showed that there was a parallel universe of music going on besides right. what I knew about that was like fucking Bon Jovi on the radio at that point, which I'm not against. I liked that just fine at the time. But he was, I'm riding in the <laughs> in the back of this Ford LTD and there's Virginia Plain playing on the stereo. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, uh, this is Roxy Music and Brian Eno and all of that. So I had yeah. this guru you know who <laughs> can bring it all back to eastern thought one way or the other who turned me on to that stuff and then and then i got to a certain level with that and then i went to new york and i like got a job packing boxes at a, uh, a hallowed hall of that kind of obscurity and i got a whole bunch more education and then i you know i developed you you, you learn the basic tools of like how to find this other stuff that's out there that there is other stuff out there that's yeah. just as good, if not better, than the stuff that's got a lot of, you know, behind it, you yeah. know, pushing it. There's a big. I guess my experience is just different. My experience is, and and not better or worse. I feel like it's okay. I was. I just, know that you think you're better than me. I do you think got to write I am. For the Times and dispatch, it's hard. And that's right. And I got left in the dust. Pete was talking about this yesterday. He was like, "Yeah," and I took the writers I really liked, like Chris Bopes and Ryan Muldoon, and I got them jobs. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to be very cool. Well, about listen, that. <laughs> you can't you can't rely on Pete Hewins all your life. I didn't. Yeah, not maybe a significant part of it. I can't ride his coattails at all. No, no. I think he needs to ride his own coattails. Fuck that man! I blew off that fucking rag and started playing my own rock band at that point. So that's the true story. I was like, N- enough watching, dude. I'm gonna be a doer. I'm going out there and I'm gonna be on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Ludicrous. Could be, but that's how it happens. It that's is. how rock and roll dreams come true. So, yes, so you and I had different ways of getting this, but we both found Monster Magnet. <laughs> we both found Monster Magnet. I, 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 Like I said, I certainly just feel like... Um, yeah, there were certainly people who, who pointed the way, and mm-hmm. I think those are some of the most interesting people you meet, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and I have a billion of those kind of connections you have where you go, man, the first time I ever heard St. Vitus is because mm-hmm. this dude that right, used to right. live over here who knew, mm-hmm. St- you know, I think those are great. Well, those that's are so much thing. fun. But I just feel like for me, like even when it was only between like ACDC and, and uh, Sticks and Rush and whoever was like the rock band, when I was young, I still just wanted to find another one. Mm-hmm. And more, and I just found it fascinating that there, it, it always seemed endless to mm-hmm. me. It never seemed like there could be enough, or that was all there is. Well, I think that one of the ways that that you and I do differ in your relationship with music. I mean, I'm a ridiculous romantic, and like I'm one of those people that like something because something got to me under a certain set of circumstances right. it's like this girl it's sure. this location this time period whatever mental state i was in this record doesn't objectively have to be any good for it to be subjectively huge to me and like i can listen only subjectively good right true right but that that's the problem with all of this availability of music is that yes and Pete and I were just talking about this actually t- a few days ago is that I can read a shitload of great articles whether it's in Pitchfork or in Arthur Magazine or like lots of places talking about bands and I go and look for those bands and then I download them and I can recognize why people are talking about them and I can listen to them but they don't mean jack shit to me until I've like been up for three days and I happen to put B1000 on and then I think it's an awesome record because I had heard Guided by Voices a lot and I thought it was bullshit and I didn't understand why the fuck people were making such a big deal out of them and then I had I had a moment you know and so no matter what happens like nobody can produce that for you I don't care how many great bands they talk up that's a whole other experience of music is to kind of follow check out what this guy likes go digging in the in the uh, bins all of that kind of stuff yeah you can find a lot of like stuff that is good and interesting and obscure and I like all of that kind of stuff but the stuff that I really like made me listen to Spine of God for days on end walking around is that it became part of some internal mythology it became like some thing to me that was like nobody else would get except you which is why you're here and yet you know um i think i'm a loser like the guys in blue cheer um where i think i don't i i know i did i'm not trying to come off like i didn't but i really think a lot of the music i listen to and kind of for better or worse, the way I came up listening to music, it was always so, again, not always, because, like I said, when I was a kid, I mean, like, seven, eight, nine years old, I really wanted to know about, like I said, the big band, ACDC, and mm-hmm. Rush, and Kiss, and Black Sabbath, and just, you I mean, know, you liked all that stuff, you didn't turn your nose up at it, but you also wanted more. And you went looking for I loved it. Yeah. I loved it and wanted and wanted more. And when I found out there was more and kind of endlessly more, it just quickly snowballed into, you know, listening to bands from Finland that only had one cassette tape. Mm-hmm. And it was just your favorite thing that and, you, you know, had that heard. Is, and that's truthfully a way that that Dave Windorf is. I mean, he's the guy that listens to Captain something in the last Starfighter, you know, and he puts yeah. a song from that on his Well, the third record. Bardo song he, yeah. he, he 
cover. I mean, that's an obscure so song. He he did. P- people talk about him ripping off bands like Captain Beyond because his his uh, Twin Earth is Mesmeration Eclipse with different lyrics, which it pretty much is. There's no denying that. But that's not what he was doing. He was saying, "You haven't heard this, you know. Like I'm not just going to cover this. I'm going to do it." And I mean, he really is this head. He's into all of this stuff, but he's hard. It's hard to reconcile that guy, and I'm not expecting anybody else to agree with this. This is just what I think is part of the problem with him. I think most people have no opinion on Monster Magnet, let alone agreeing Some, or disagreeing with one, our ridiculous opinions. If one fucking person listening to this podcast <laughs> finds this interesting, that's all that matters to me. But it's the story about like a, an artist in general to me is that he was a little bit too like divided between being a nerd and a geek for like all of this stuff and then finding himself in the role of being the um stadium rock star and like the people that would appreciate the stuff that he's digging up and he's really into and the kind of people like him are going i don't want to listen to this guy's band because he is on mtv doing his version of a um, puff daddy video that I don't remember who the guy was. They were mimicking a Hype Williams video. And he's doing that to say, how come the hip-hop guys are doing all of the great rock and roll videos and nobody makes rock and roll videos anymore that are in rock bands? And he said that. He said that. I don't think he's saying, how come? He did say that. I think he's saying, oh, they are. Right. but he's That's what I want to do. No, no. I'm going to do that. I'm telling you, he, he said this to me. And in that interview, he never talked to me. Uh, and I put it. I put. I got him to talk to you too. That was the greatest. I've told that story <laughs> so many times. Not so many, maybe five, because there's only five I'm really people. I'm glad that I care. could accomplish that. Though. It was it, the greatest. I still think about that. How weird that was. But, but when I interviewed him, I, you know, I was, I was asking him about that, and he's like, "Look, I don't understand why rock and roll has become this dour and then cynical and pessimistic thing that like i like nirvana but like all of those bands are like the only way to do rock and roll now is to be like in this very dark negative kind of gothic like depressed thing like tool and all of that and like i'm I'm watching the hip-hop guys still understand rock and roll like as a fun thing with girls and partying and like whatever and why is that wrong like why can't we what what has happened to that being it doesn't have to be the sole domain of rock and roll but why can't rock and roll be about that also it did cuz it started to take itself very seriously long before that and it's just a gradual <laughs> progression you know um, you know what neil young says the end was mm-mm. woodstock he says when the cameras were on stage that was it that mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. he said then everyone but I don't know if that's true or not. Well, that's why you... People we, were on TV. It's not like nobody had ever seen anybody play rock and roll before. No one had posed it, for a camera. It, for his peers. That was it. For his, Paul Revere peers. and the Raiders yeah. were, were doing, you know, numbers. If you right? don't point a camera at... I mean, there's there's tons of people that are doing it, All have always been doing it right. They never stop doing it that way. They never stop playing rock and roll that way. What comes in and out of fashion is, I guess, really... And so... He's this obscure guy, like who really isn't concerned with fashion. He's got his own thing, but then through some, you know, record execs say, "Hey, you could be up here with the Soundgardens and the, you know, these other bands." And I think that was the label that they were they were on the same label as Soundgarden for, um, yeah. for Power Trip. So they push him up there, and he just doesn't belong in in either of those worlds. But he's, he's game. He's trying to do it, but that's not why people like Monster Magnet. They, I 
like him because it's loser weird freak shit. But that's again, tons of weird. people heard that and went, I like this I band. I love that stuff, right. And and I'm going to go listen to the albums that came before this and I love it. And I'm going to listen to the albums that come after it and I love it. And yes, there's going to be a certain point who say, people who say, ugh, mm-hmm. only the stuff before it. And there's going to be certain people who say, I guess, there's so someone the somewhere. Are we, why are we even talking? I don't know. That's oh. what I'm saying. Nobody cares. And it, the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But I'm here to tell you I love Monster But I do Bag. like, yeah, I like to talk about my personal experience with that. And I did care so much at that time, like See, in I the late 90s. I, I did. I, I was on, re- on, a, on a quixotic mission to like, like I was, uh, what's his name in Confederacy of Dunces? Like or, what, what he is about chivalry, I was about my imagined Never thing with Rock and Roll. Never Confederacy of Dunces. I'm here to I'm admit sorry that. to allude to that. I'm here to lower Shut my up. IQ by admitting I love Monster <laughs> I've Magnet. I've never read that book. I just can I just you know like the name uh, check. That's good. But I I mean I was I was in a very crazy deluded thing with rock and roll in the late nineties, you know, where I was just like, This is this thing that I'm I'm waving the flag, you know, I'm carrying the banner and yeah. I'm look, I'm here to laugh at that, it's ridiculous. But yeah um that's where I was at the time and But you still are, right? If no. you were then, you are now. No, I'm more where you are. It's like I'm really interested. What? I'm waving the flag. Well, the other thing about pulling down all of these divisions and saying all of this shit doesn't right. really matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't. It, I don't. It doesn't. I mean, look. We are only guessing the intentions. And the oldest thing in the world is like if you like it, it's that's all, all that matters. That's and right. and the whole like there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. There's just a pleasure. But beyond that, like this all applies to like pulling apart all of the things that you take for granted that give something a value or don't give it a value. And for me, like that, you know, layers and layers have been coming off that for a long time that like music that I like at some point actually was because like I didn't fit into this scene. So I'm going to start liking this stuff because uh, it's like, these are the anthems of the people who don't fit in. And, and even after I outgrew giving a shit about fitting in, I, the, the music stayed, unexamined in that slot you know my feelings about that genre or my feelings about some you know period of time in music or some artists or whatever after they had didn't give a shit about it at all anymore themselves it was never anything that they were really i mean look at iggy pop is in that goddamn car commercial he's standing in front of what used to be cbgb's which is now a custom clothing store on the bowery where you can go in and have leather pants made just for you and he gets into this fucking this luxury is like car. the singularity he doesn't give a shit it's gonna happen. He doesn't care. But Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Get over yourself. You tell me you're okay with the singularity, but you're not okay with Iggy Pop doing a commercial. I'm okay with it. I'm talking I'm about how Pop. it happened to me here. I'm not. I'm not. I feel like I there's a, a I feel like there is a sense of derision in your voice if when it is, you talk about. Iggy Pop doing a commercial. I have a real problem with that. And I fucking see, you know, I have, I have what a were you, the, the night manager of CBGB's? What did you do, clean the toilets there? I was there. Why do you have a connection with CBGB's and what Iggy Pop has to do with hey, it? Hey, motherfucker. I guess that's that? what I'm reacting to. I have a problem. Let's make this. I'm tr- Look, <laughs> the derision is at me forever being such a, a romantic goofball about that stuff. Like, I for somebody just- else's, like, like I'm going to get worried about somebody else's legacy when they clearly don't. They're doing whatever the fuck they want to with it. It doesn't even apply to them. They don't care. But for some reason, I, I'm i pulling apart that onion that has me giving a shit about that stuff long after the context that I originally gave a shit when I was immature 
or yeah. you know. No, I think that's cool. Whatever derision you're hearing is directed at myself. It's not at anything that's going on out in pop culture. I don't give a shit what is going on, like on that terms. I mean, I'm I'm much more interested in what it does to people's brains to take this stuff so seriously, and then to start saying it's this and it's not that and all of that. I'm not down with like that kind of uh, you know. I think like get your aesthetics off my body, dude. You know, I I remember. I don't remember. I don't remember the first time somebody described a band to me in a with a derisive <laughs> or divisive tone of voice mm-hmm. and said uh, they probably play state fairs now mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, which is kind of like the flip side of the coin of saying uh, the Who are doing a car commercial. Mm-hmm. Which to me is like in both ways. It's like I, I just don't care. Well, you are and awesomely... not only do I not care about Iggy Pop doing a commercial. When I hear a band is playing state fairs, I kind of think cool. Right. I'd rather see most of those bands at the state fairs. I'd than rather the spend my life playing at state fairs, mm-hmm. probably. Than whatever it is the person who is saying that is is saying. Well, I'm and with I think, you on that, and I think that we're. You know, I think it's a strange thing. That we intersected at a point where we were both. You, I think, were writing about the bands that you liked because you liked them, and for no other reason. I was writing about them because of some delusional desire to be a tastemaker, to be like one of these guys. You know, I wanted to be a player as dubious a fucking thing as that is at the point that I was doing it, I was, these were my motivations. This is where we are. We, we, you know, we cross at, <laughs> at you know, at writing for punchline, we go off wildly in other directions. And we started that way too. You've always been more <laughs> of, <laughs> on a straight line with that. I've been motivated by crazy, like, <laughs> e- you know, narcissistic, egotistical, weird shit. I like, definitely have too. I mean, and, and, still am and I'm probably not even conscious of how I am sometimes I guess I just never thought of like punchline as being the uh, arena in which well, anyone would become nobody a, else was letting me publish anything anywhere so tastemaker curator oh, I, it was I, even maybe worse. that was another thing I had I'd written for the, the uh, school paper in mm-hmm. college uh I had written stuff before that. Like I said, I did a couple of zines. Like, it just felt like, and still feels like, just something I do. Yeah. Well, it was it was significant to me because I had never decided, to, like, this is like me brushing with actually having the discipline to sit down and write something and submit it and have it printed. And it lasted a very short period of time for me that well, I, I never did I it again, say, really. When you, uh, when you said you were, I don't know if you said when you were talking to Pete about it or you just mentioned it, you know, I, I'm getting... A thousand words about Monster Magnet. And you're you're <laughs> chipping off 150 words about whatever. Nebula. Mm-hmm. My impression then, and I guess my impression now, I haven't thought about it, was just, well, I was just sitting down and writing, and that's all I Ryan, knew how to do. Well, we we're and saying that I was nuts at that point. That I'm hating on. You know, no, 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 yeah, but I think this is. I was totally motivated not by a love of music, but by a love of myself, and you know, <laughs> wanting attention. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't know that. I didn't pick that up about you. I, I picture, I pictured, or still picture, um, you as a guy 
who, like I said earlier, was always one of those guys that I would run into and would introduce me to X, Y, and Z, and just another part of the maybe the I'm great, being a little hard on great, myself. Yeah, the great tapestry of uh, no, but I was something uh, ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I the great tapestry I of losers of of the blue cheer net. You know. Well, I decided um, to fully commit to that by being in one of those loser bands that nobody gave a shit about. But I guess w- when I, I first, I, we didn't really finish like twenty-two people. There may have been. I, I think once we played to that many <laughs> See, people, you don't guys need that uh, Google Analytics. But band. I did get to play. I would hate to be in a band now and be able to like knowing what I know about my website mm-hmm. and see like how I many said, people are indifferent to uh-huh. it. You don't need Google in a band. Dude, I think it's because you rougher. can just play to an empty room and see that very clearly. No, <laughs> but I think bands exist now online only, and they never tour. And well, and no, just I just mean they exist online whether they tour or not, in a way that they simply didn't before. It depends if you trust those metrics or not. The Google Analytics. I mean, who knows? Well, at stuff. some point, the rubber meets the road because. Um, you're either going to move a physical product or a digital product, which in some ways is a physical product of a bunch of zeros and ones, or you're going to go it's out and talking, play somewhere and people are going to show up. It's communication. What's awesome is a message that tells your computer to do something. I love that. Nothing actually moved anywhere. It was like it was just talking. I know. <laughs> it's so cool. I still love it's it. It's impossible to steal music. It's my fucking computers, my zeros and ones. I didn't take anything. But you can't resell it. Although I never paid for that computer over there. I, so You're going to admit I'm that the on the, the podcast? The computer is stolen. Who's, you know, they don't know who I stole N-S-A. it from. N-S-A. Nobody is going to listen to this. Nobody. But, and you know, for purposes, I, I'm selling myself a little short because I did have a, a bona fide desire to uh, hip people to stuff that I thought was cool when I was writing for Punchline. But I also had a lot of ego behind it that, like, I'm coming back back to Richmond from New York I know this stuff that I didn't know before I went, and I assume a lot of people don't know, and they will benefit from my experience up there. I'm going to bring this back, and it's—I'm just—I'm sorry to admit that. I mean, I'm it's not. It's okay. You know, it's okay to admit it. I mean, it's—it's it's good that you can admit it. I'm surprised to hear it. I didn't. But that like I said, right, I didn't take it that thing, way. But when I, you know, I saw you—you you were getting these. You were a better writer than me, in the, especially in the sense that you, your shit was put together well. Like it was organized. It was uh, concise. My crap was like. You know, cracked I, out. I loved Punchline, and I love that I got to write for it, and I love that Pete did it, and I love everything else about the thing. One of my chief memories of working at Punchline, and you actually worked. And this there, is an important right? thing. I like think you didn't just to learn. You got hired and sat at a desk there and tried yeah. to feed your family based on. I didn't uh, have a family at that point. You had a wife. I had a wife. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was your job. You were it dependent. was my job. Yeah. It was my quote-unquote full-time job. Right. Um, but uh, I remember, I think it was like, like it was maybe like the first issue of the year or something, like a New Year's issue, like, some, like a double-size issue mm-hmm. or just an issue we had just worked really hard in. And I remember sitting at uh, World Cup Coffee after work, I guess, one day or one evening and uh, reading and having a cup of coffee and uh, some girl sitting kind of catty corner to me like picks up the new issue and is looking through it and uh, five minutes later her friend shows up and uh, she's sitting down she goes oh is that the new punchline and the girl goes yeah and the girl goes anything good in it and she goes nope 
<laughs> and they just put it away. And it was just like, well, that's the way people interact with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's the way people interact with stuff online as well. Mm-hmm. You glance at it. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I can put a lot of effort into whatever I write or not. You became detached from this a long time ago on a level. I'm not saying that you don't give a shit anymore, but you're doing it. You're not doing it for the response of those those girls sitting in the coffee shop or whatever. You like you can detach your efforts from like the imagined reaction of some audience. I hope so. Mm-hmm. I probably still do it for the response, even though I know the response will not happen. Right? So you don't. If one person likes some shit you wrote, like that matters, right? I mean, the, the res- there's some response out there, like. It matters, but it's not the goal. What is the goal? Just to do it. Just to do it. Like I said, it's just something you do. Right? Like, so what's the goal of this podcast? There's it was no the goal. same thing. Yeah. I hope. Oh, actually. Because if ha- there's a goal for this. <laughs> <laughs> We're off I'm mark. going to kill myself. <laughs> We're off Why did I mark. invite you over here? <laughs> I need I somebody in my life great. that just shoots shit down like this. I think it's great like that this. you're doing this. I've listened to several episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm a podcast junkie. Podcasting uh, is fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm still surprised, although maybe heartened by um, how often, maybe nowadays, I do hear somebody mention a podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm still uh, surprised, not still, or I remain, or... Um, I'm surprised, I'm surprised mm-hmm. that a lot of people aren't hip to them at all. Yeah. And, you know, they, they've they've bred now TV shows. Mm-hmm. And certainly people who had success in other mediums are having success in podcasting, either in addition to their success in the other mediums or now Well, you know what's amazing is that, that so many people are not hip to them and there are people whose careers are taking the fuck off because That's what of I'm them. saying. There's I mean, people the, who, yeah. who have... It has bred right. other avenues from a podcast and it also I has th- taken other avenues into a so podcast. So the reaction I would talk about more is that I take great pleasure in that, that it really shows me, just like back in the day, that like the significance of, of like being a band like Sonic Youth who just did what they did or maybe even more obscure than them, they were doing it for the right reasons for the most part. They're just out there doing it, and they kept doing it when they came and went in, like, the public eye and whatever, and they just going and going and going. You know, they just they want to make music. They're into what they're doing. And, like, you know, always being aware of that, it doesn't make any difference if you get signed. It, who cares if you get that? It's, that's not the end goal. All of these bands out there go, we're never going to get signed with a name like that, or we're never, as if that's it. Like, that's... And there's all of these other alternatives, right? And that's what the podcast represents to me, you know, and in the entire digital world is that there are all these other alternatives. And for so fucking long, well, not for so, but for like 50 years in America, everybody was like getting everything through a few narrow apertures, like three channels of television, whatever. And But there was stuff. And I, I think that's something to to keep in mind. There was stuff, but now it's way more like accessible for me. I don't. This cost me nothing to do this, like except time and maybe irritating. I'm worried about irritating my right. But it, it cost the recipient of a free newspaper nothing to look into that. Yeah, but there was somebody else sitting there reading that in another coffee shop, going, "This is fucking awesome." 
because I walked, I delivered that right. paper, no, 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 and I'm like not, lots I'm not, of people. I'm not like, talking about the reaction to it. I'm just talking about the access to it. I do think it's important to bear in mind. I don't know why it's important. It's probably not important. Do you at think all I have delusions about the? See, now what what is I good is that my purpose has changed because I really am just doing this because I want to and I fucking love it. And I didn't. I definitely that was not my primary motivation for anything else I've ever done before. This is. <laughs> I mean, I think that's good. And, but you've always sort of. Con, you know, consistently been on that track, and that is where we are different. And, and that doesn't make me a poser. It's just that. No, and you're I calling you're me one. And every I see you I am spelled it out a little while one. ago in salt on the table, and I saw that in the ashes <laughs> from my incense. And then I you did, put an arrow not a pointing poser over here. at all. I mean, you're not a poser. I'm t- I was. We're all posers. Yeah. Everybody's a poser, and, and and to some degree, part of that is, you know, the the art and artifice of art mm-hmm. right i mean you know we there is uh, you were talking about walt whitman when we began here his self-mythologizing mm-hmm. and 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 boastful i don't i don't even see him that way i see him nobody ever uh, well maybe that's not true i don't think walt whitman wrote that poetry thinking i'm gonna get famous and i'm gonna be a tastemaker no he definitely didn't i think he was just on a different wavelength than most of us are but song of myself is saying that my existence is significant, that I am this amazing thing. Sure. I, and when I, and self-mythologizing sounds very negative, like in the sense of self-aggrandizing, and that's not what I meant by it. I meant that it's like saying, I don't have to join another thing that's going on. I don't have to derive my like identity or my value from being recognized by my peers. I can just, you know put a point in the ground, stick my freak flag there and start being and start doing something. And like, that was the inspiration to me. The, I connected Dave Windorf and Walt Whitman that way that they were saying <laughs> what they wanted to say. I got it back to Dave Windorf. You didn't think I was going to do it. Did you? Um, but what I got out of them is, and it was very lo- you know, it's a very, very slow process for that coming to me because I excruciatingly cared. Like, about what I thought other people thought of me for a really, like, to a, you know, a paranoid, like, unwell degree, <laughs> like, you know, like, bordering on narcissism, you know, if not totally cross the border and, you know, paying taxes there. <laughs> I think and we all fight that battle, though, don't we? I don't think you do to the same degree. Oh, but, my God. You know, I sure. I think we all do. I think we all do. So what is it that brought... I mean, obviously, something going on in your head made you say that I need to. I would like to explore calming that by sitting on a cushion in a uh, dojo. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it a dojo? A koji in a temple? A zendo. I'm not being derisive about that. I'm down with this stuff, but I well, I do acknowledge fine. that it sounds pretentious when you start talking about it, and it sounds whatever. But I, I'm legitimately. I'd I'd like you to be able to talk about your experience with it without. You know, having to self-consciously giggle at Zendo. I think it's good to giggle. It is good at to whatever giggle. you you want to giggle at. I feel um, not unqualified to talk what is about your it. Your experience with it, why? Just like with writing, yeah. just to do it. That's. 
I think you told me I, that you were you, there. Were, there was a drive. It was it was an answer to something at some point. And is it answering that? Um, do you even remember what I'm talking about? I, I probably do. I mean, certainly it's like I said. I meditate like a lot of people meditate, and I get um, some feeling of calm mm-hmm. from it, and some feeling of of sorting things out i don't i don't know um there there's i think what i struggle with is there's definitely that in the same way that there it's almost narcissistic mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. to like you just said like oh, i'm 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 suffering from almost this narcissism and i think there is something narcissistic about this idea of the idea that we either believe or put in our heads or think other people think of well i'm going to do this and achieve this Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's going to be on, on some metric like that Google Analytics where right. I can say I had 15 and Is that what you think about yesterday. it or do you think that's what people think about it? I think both. OK, well, I want to know. I, which... I try not <laughs> to, but I'm sure I, I, I certainly think about it that way. We all do. I don't. We're all twisted. We're, I mean, all, we're all, you know. What I like is... about what, what experience I've had with meditation and I'm no practice. I'm not a consistent practicer of it i've been through periods where i went to a place on monday nights and i sat on a cushion for 15 minutes and then we talked about various shit afterwards and um and i went to another thing on sundays where i would do that what i got from it is not a sense of calm or any of those kinds of other things i got a separation from the subjective fucking chatter that i was stories i was always muttering to myself yes um i got a i got a little space away from that where i could go that is that's actually not my um that's not truth that's not some essential um reality it's it's a bunch of just kind of running you know stuff it's right. it's some of it is significant some of it's valuable but a lot of it is just um your brain is ordering and generating and it's trying to make sense out of things and whatever and it, that isn't necessarily a problem it's fine but there's another there's another perspective in there that you can stand back from that and go yeah, that kind of stuff. That's got, I can come in and out of that. I can pick and choose. I can go to the buffet of my thoughts, and that's I can the, uh, you know the, the veil of Maya, mm-hmm. right? Illusion. So that's what Alan Watts said about Maya. Mm-hmm. Is and he said a lot of things about Maya. I'm sure. Um, he said uh, not a bad thing, a necessary thing, mm-hmm. of which you can have too much. Mm-hmm. Well, Right. I mean, he then creates, I love this term, spiritual indigestion. Mm. Mm. So when you're talking about going to the buffet and picking and choosing, there you go. There's your way to so I can either avoid or aggravate the indigestion, Ah, ah, spiritual or gastronomical. But what I would say is that I can look at the buffet and say, you know, that I'll allow in my diet because it's not causing me indigestion. It's not causing uh, that other shit right there. That I'm constantly swallowing. I don't even. I don't need to eat that. Yeah. I don't. I actually have a right. choice. Like and I'm putting it in know. my throat. Right. And right. I have. A, I'm I have putting a it in my mouth. I'm chewing it up and I'm swallowing. And, it. and and prior to attempting that kind of a practice, I didn't think I had a choice. Right. Like I, in fact, wanted to indulge that shit. Like sure. I, the stuff that like got me fired up and made me mad. I was like, yeah. well, fuck yeah. Right. You know, like it's energy, that's man. That's me, dude. That's, that's it, man. A right to that's feel that who way. I am. Right. I've already determined this. So I'm, and I'm, I'm going to take it down to the bitter end. 
I, I only like meditation for me and like, you know, I, I do yoga also because I like that it gets me in this, gives me this other choice. It reminds me that I have this other choice all the time that I can pick in, you know, to some degree that there are, I mean, I'm never going to like totally get removed and uh, objective, you know, out of my subjective experience, but I, I can actually see how much of it is just kind of arbitrary. It's just sort of, it's just a little story. It's just a little yeah. tee-hee. It's not any big deal. It's a fable. It's a myth. It's a whatever. And and while it's going on and I see it happening, I can go, hmm, uh, you know. Yeah. And I can just say, you know what, I'm just going to pick this other arbitrary thing that feels better, which is like to have a positive attitude about yeah. it. I don't believe in, in, you know, meditation is some calming thing or this whatever. It is... It's just giving you a little bit more, pr- like, of a choice. That's like that's, that's it. That's you know? cool. And it could mm. be both. And it could be either or. So, like, I showed you be all that because I want to know what it is for you. Here, I put it out there I, like I that. I don't give a shit what anybody else says. I say I feel not unqualified, but, you know, in Zen specifically... And I don't know why I gravitate towards Zen, but I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a sense of talking about it loses it. A sense. Sure. There's there's a it's sense good thing there. I'm not down with and Zen. I love reading <laughs> about it, and I love hearing people talk about mm-hmm. it. Um, so that's I don't mean to say I, I feel unqualified, although I think I do feel like unqualified in a certain way to to give it any expression. Here is what I think about it, and these are three things that. But see, I honestly, don't these three things make me think. Well, you can't really talk about it. number one. It's infinite, right? It's mm-hmm. it's infinite. It's it just keeps going. It's practice, and right. what's the point of the practice? Just to do it, right? So there's that concept of no attainment from it, mm-hmm. no measurable goals, right? Just to do it. So is that? You are a word guy, okay, and that is part of your essence and part of your nature. And Alan Watts is very much that kind of guy. Otherwise, he wouldn't have wasted his fucking time writing all those books, um, <laughs> which <laughs> he says in the beginning 19. of the book. He says, "I am this kind. This is my nature to yeah. like put things right. through my, my head and talk about them." Right. And yes, I'm not trying to practice Zen Buddhism. I am, right. you know, I am. I practice meditation. And meditation right. does not belong to any particular. I'm way more into Hindu stuff than I am into Japanese right. Zen, you know. Um, and I and I'm not in anything dogmatically. Not a fucking right. thing. Not not a re- not a spirituality. Not a religion. And not rock and roll. I I'm you know. That's not what you said, to Iggy Pop. Try to lay your dogma down on him for. I wasn't. I was down. examining why I used to have filthy, dirty dollar. And in my meditations, I've discovered intractable hunks of dogma that I I laid on myself. Sure. Like, you know that nobody else ever laid on me. I made a hero out of that motherfucker, and now I'm I'm like going, what the fuck, dude? Absolutely. You know, um, and it, it just does disgust me. Just as a one human being to another, to watch some guy just kind of shrug and get into a luxury car, like isn't this cool? Like that does bug me. And and but that's a whole. I look at that and I said, I have a choice of that. It's arbitrary. Who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm certainly I've I've taken the time to tweet at you about it uh, in the past. But listen, mm-hmm. the practice is infinite, and in that way, you can never be upset about your progress. 
lack thereof, or puffed up about your progress. Right. But you, you're also allowed to put it in your own words, which is what I'm asking you to do. You can just say, Curtis, you know, I, I one day, like, I was looking through this, and I decided I was going to go to this temple, and... I... I uh, I want to know your subjective experience with it. You know, the temple specifically is just. Um, I didn't know it was even there, and I've tried this on and off for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and it just came about at the right time where I just thought, "Huh, that's not too far from where I work. I should try to make that happen, see how that goes," um, and found that I like the semi-discipline of just going once a week or twice a week or uh, the the semi-ritual of just having a place to go to. And I do think there is something about um, um, being with the sangha, mm-hmm. the psychedelic sangha, mm-hmm. um, that is interesting and impactful or effective Mm -hmm. somehow but again that makes it sound like it is something to be attained like it's going to be better you know so so um but i'm not so i just i i find it hard to put into words because i don't when i started lifting weights i had uh, one size muscle and after lifting weights for a while i could objectively observe that the muscle had gotten larger right I'm asking, do you see, is there any experience you've had that is like that around it? Like, no. You, no. No. Nothing's changed. It's just something you're doing. Everything has changed. It's always changing, right? Mm-hmm. We changed since we walked in here. And with every breath, we change. Oh, boy, am I enjoying this. I don't know if anybody else is going to, but this is... Uh, Are you enjoying it? Oh, yeah. Oh. Do I look angry to you? <laughs> no. I, I, I feel like... Uh, I feel like I'm coming off or, or going to be interpreted as, as trying to be evasive or um, unclear or willfully kind of No, I don't think something. that's an intentional thing. I truly think it's... I don't think you fully understand what I'm asking you. I'm not saying that you're intentionally doing that. Like I had the same problem with Greta when I was talking to her. I wanted to know what it, she had stated that at one point hardcore and metal collided around the time of Unseen Force, and I wanted her to tell me what that looked like, and she's yeah. like... I'm not really qualified to say we're hardcore and metal, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you were there. You said something. So just for so me? Yeah, that's all I'm... Just I, for me, it's something I've been into <laughs> for... I could easily say 20 years. If you want to say something as simple as, like, from whenever I bought Be Here Now. Mm-hmm. I think Baba it's probably... Baba Ram Das. Yes. Yeah, dude. Yes. Yeah. Um, be Now Here. Be Nowhere. Doobie doobie do. <laughs> um, we I sometimes wrap this think, up soon you know, I lived in Okinawa for a couple years when I was mm-hmm. a kid, and I have, um, so I, I took Japanese culture classes at the, uh, at the American school, and uh, you could see uh, uh, Buddhas in the woods, or the mm-hmm. boonies, as we mm-hmm. called them. Um, These are actual statues? Actual or? statues, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's, it's Okinawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, there might be some residual, just kind of like uh, I thought it was 
I don't even know if I thought it was interesting, but it was around. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how to answer even like, like, well, how did this start? Like, I don't know when it really started. Like, I really don't. Like, I couldn't tell you. Like I said, I mean, honestly, it does feel like sometimes since second and third grade and you saw some of those things and you just think some of those things and they were very foreign to me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, raised Catholic and then to, to kind of find out, like, what? There's some people are bowing before Buddha and other people read the Koran and other people have what now? You know, it, th that's always been interesting to me. So... I think that's um, kind of where it begins. Mm -hmm. And then there's always a sense of like, I'm going to try to put this into practice. I love reading about this stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to put it into practice. Mm -hmm. And I think like everyone else in the world, you have maybe some success and some difficulty with that. Mm -hmm. And it's all But that cyclical. really is, I think... That is what I'm getting at, is that this was this is going from the theoretical or the aesthetic or the just sort of um, observing it as a phenomenon out there culturally or whatever, and to say, I want to have a subjective experience of it. And maybe you wouldn't articulate it that way, but you're like, I want to actually do this thing. I want to go yeah, sit. Yeah, and that's what I mean. <laughs> I want to just, what does Thich Nhat Hanh say? Don't, don't just do something. Sit there. Yeah. Yeah. You, did you post that the other day? No. <laughs> the first time I went to Ikoji, mm -hmm. uh guy there said, uh, do you meditate at home? That's one of the first things he asked me. And I said, I do, but not successfully. And he looked at me and he said, did you sit? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah. And he said, you were successful. And so if you're going to ask me when, when when did I start, I don't know, you know. Because now you found out. I say like one minute of it is progress, yeah. right? Is it one minute is worth not, you know, better than not doing it for a minute. So this is kind of like that, and I'm probably only going to get this, but it's the paradoxical anomaly that although it started in way up in the future, it actually gets bigger as you go back towards the past. And your your the ground of your being has been so altered that you no longer know where it begins or ends and it is now it has changed your perception so much that you no longer see it in a linear fashion you don't see it as a progressive thing you don't see a point where you started it's just now it's just it is how it and it is maybe not perhaps I even think counterproductive I saw it that way. to try to articulate it i think i saw it that way before that mm -hmm. and, and i don't mean that again some kind of pompous way I just think I, I just think about it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely also think that um, becoming a father had a lot to do with that, uh, both consciously and subconsciously. I mean, as far as like putting things in practice and like having an authentic experience with um, – a discipline and a daily discipline and a discipline of understanding and compassion and equanimity mm -hmm. and balance and appropriate response and order appropriate response. Um, I, I think you could hardly do better than parenthood. Mm -hmm. um, so I think 
that's probably part of it too. But yeah. it, again, I, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's one breath at a time, mm-hmm. and it is no attainment, and it is infinite. So it's a lot of fun. Look, Curtis, this has been great. I gotta piss like a motherfucker. All right, that was Ryan Muldoon. I gotta piss bad as a motherfucker. Um, Ryan, again, I will mention, will be DJing uh, this weekend as part of the WRIR fundraiser Commonwealth of Notions, which is an all weekend long uh, fundraiser for WRIR. It's gonna be taking place at uh, Strange Matter, Banditos, um, some record stores i don't know man i didn't look this up and even though i'm recording this i'm i could stop and i could look it up but i think you should do that so why don't you get on the internet and look up wrir commonwealth of notions and show up because rir is an awesome element of what we got going on in richmond uh you know, it doesn't have the finger, the corporate fingers and the corporate tendrils all up in it. It's all volunteer. It's all people. It's just a sustained by love and generosity. And um, we need to think like that in this town, obviously. Everybody needs to think like that. But we here in Richmond really do, especially. Uh, and we need to support the things that are done with that kind of heart and uh, uh, intention, I think. That's my opinion. Um, and speaking of support, I have a page on my website called Encourage Me, and there, there's a little button that says Do Nate. Give to the birth. That's Natus, right? Birth and do. Yeah. Give me, put in some dough, kick in a little, put some snaps down on this thing. Support what I'm trying to do because it's all about the love. And, um, you know, whatever, $20, $30, $40, $50, $10, if you guys put stuff in there, you help me pursue this thing I'm trying to pursue. And you can take part in the exorcism. You know, I will draw you like venom from a wound. Yeah. Um, More on my visit with the mystic benjamin campbell up on the hill uh coming up i'm gonna be interviewing him um i can't wait to talk to him i think that's gonna be super awesome it might have to be a series and also the punchline continues the punchline trifecta the punchline i don't know it's gonna be more than a trifecta but john goldberg is next and after him i'm gonna try to get i got cam denunzio coming up who was the first kind of music writer for punchline and i got uh, i've talked to leslie Howson, who was an editor there and um john morgan negron morgan richmond um one way richmond uh gonna get him and i just gonna keep rolling with this uh theme because these people gave of themselves to punchline and they've got very little in return and the, and they continue i think to still demonstrate uh that practice that principle and what they're doing. So um, I'm interested to catch up with these people and keep learning about what we had in common and how we see things differently and all of this that went into it. It's 
Interesting. We're talking about a tabloid that stopped publishing 10 years ago, but, uh, hey, the punchline lives on. Namaste. 